Okay, here's some more of the 50 insane declassified secrets. Oh, minus Sections live right now. The brutal end for them is near. Trump, I mean, Diaper Don loses in court. Rudy faces brutal verdict that will end him. The dust in my apartment was so out of control, thanks to the previous renters. My friend recommended attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. <laughs> now, I think that's an important way to what? take back the narrative and tell your story. And by the way, instantaneous. Trying to push this in. thing back. But then you have like Lena Hoppe going on TV and she's like, oh, we're going to pull up all the way. And just the issue of damages next month. Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that in the E. Federal judge time and how he Donald Trump was in Iowa this week bragging about passing cognitive tests again. Then he went to Mar-a-Lago where he bragged about how rich he was, how rich the people who were there are, and how he wants to be a dictator for a day. Meanwhile, the DC Circuit Court of Appeals granted expedited briefing on the issue of absolute presidential immunity in the D.C. federal criminal case against Donald Trump. That has Washington, D.C. federal judge Tanya Chutkin stayed that criminal proceeding pending the resolution of the appeal. Briefing on the appeal will conclude now on January 2nd. So it looks like there is going to be about a 45 to 60 day delay in the D.C. case, which is set for trial on March 4th, 2024. Thank you, Alina Hoppe, by the way. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case, the next one, that is, that's set for trial on just the issue of damages next month, that Donald Trump waived the defense of absolute presidential immunity in that civil case by not raising it as an affirmative defense for over three years. Then, in a separate case before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals today involving Michael Cohen's lawsuit, where he sued the government for being placed in solitary confinement in 2020 <laughs> when he wouldn't wave away his ability to write a book, the Second Circuit panel asked Alina Haba about the Blassingame case. She said, Blassingame, I'm sorry, I don't follow. You know, Blassingame v. Trump was decided in the past two weeks. The key case on the doctrine you're talking about, absolute presidential immunity, where it was rejected upon Donald Trump's assertion because it was alleged that it was election and campaigning activity. She didn't know what the case was. Then Rudy Giuliani's on trial in the defamation case. He was too scared to testify at the defamation case against him brought by Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss. He promised he would testify, but you know how it goes with MAGA. Uh, the case is now with the jury. Rudy Giuliani has already been found liable, so the case is just about damages and punitive damages, and Freeman and Moss are asking anywhere between 15 and about $45 million and then punitive damages on top of that. Stocks are soaring. All economic indicators are tracking in a positive direction. The story of 2023 seems to be that a year 
when every financial analyst predicted a damaging recession, what actually turned out was an economic miracle, an economic boom thanks to policies by President Biden. Then let's talk about the absurd, frivolous impeachment inquiry into President Biden by MAGA Republicans who don't even know and can't articulate what the crime is that they're investigating as it relates to President Biden. I think the connection here is that they've discovered that President Biden is actually Hunter Biden's father. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hunter Biden showed up on Capitol Hill ready to testify publicly at the committee hearing. But the MAGA Republicans, led by James Comer, wanted a secret deposition, not public testimony. Go figure. And although Republicans want to take a winter vacation right now, President Biden and Democrats are working to make sure there is funding for Ukraine, and they are prepared to work into next week as all the MAGA Republicans are whining that they want to go home. This and more on the Midas Touch show. I've been Marcellus, joined by Brett and Jory. A lot to discuss, fellas. A lot to discuss indeed. I feel like we wake up every single morning with a lot to discuss, and then the news cycle just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Ben, I, I caught something that you said in the beginning, a major revelation that these Republicans came up with this week. Are you telling me Hunter Biden related to Joe Biden? Whoa! Uh, it turns out that Hunter Biden is actually President Joe Biden's son, and that during wow. a very dark time in Hunter Biden's life when he was suffering from serious drug addiction. His father loved him, took care of him, and said that he would be there for his son. I love you, son. And for the MAGA Republicans, that means that there's some uh, deeper operation taking place. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is honestly just atrocious. What, what, Honestly, what they're doing on Hunter Biden, and frankly to President Biden here, I think is just absolutely disgraceful. I think in any other time, pre-Trump, pre-MAGA, it would be treated as kind of with the disgust that it deserves. But today, that level of disgust within the Republican Party, it's just kind of like their MO. As we watch how Rudy Giuliani's been ha handling this phase of the trial, which is now currently for just damages, like he's already been held liable for the actual defamation, to see him continuously dig in and defame Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss in the same ways that Donald Trump continues to defame E. Jean Carroll. It just continues to show you just the total lack of morality of this MAGA movement, and it just leaves me feeling gross, and I hope Rudy gets hit with the biggest judgment imaginable. I hey, Brett, the impeachment inquiry was of such a pressing nature that as soon as the vote was taken, MAGA Republicans going back home and taking a vacation. Three-week vacation? And they three weeks? Three weeks? Who gets a three-week vacation? And they just came off their Thanksgiving vacation, and they had a vacation right before that. And then they get to come to the halls of Congress, and they get to go, Joe Biden's never working. Joe Biden, look at him on vacation over the weekend when he's actually working just from his home over <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week, while they are literally taking three-week vacations at a time. They always take vacations, too, after moments of extreme failure, if you notice. Like, it's a common theme with the Republican Party. After they ousted their speaker and then they took multiple rounds and many days, weeks to elect a new Speaker of the House. The second he got in charge, Speaker Mike Johnson, what do they do? 
Okay, that's enough for the day. That's enough for this session. I will see you later. And they took a vacation. Like, they do. They are the last people in this country who deserve a vacation. And they are the same people who look down on actual working people of the country who actually bust their ass day in and day out. And we'll show us some of these clips, too. Like, they don't even hide it. You have Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago just basically saying, rich people, just wait for all the things that I am going to do for you. And then uh, the working people of America are supposed to look at that and go, that's my guy. That's my guy. I don't think so. We're not letting that slide here on the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, what's new in your world? Right. You, you, you say that, you know, they go on these vacations uh, after they oust the speaker or after they cause this chaos that the MAGA Republicans love to cause, and you're exactly right. Because they think that's the job. And when their re-elections come up, they're going to be sorely confused, mistaken, out of a job, quite frankly, when they have to go back to their constituents and be like, hey, this is what I did. I elected a speaker after 15 rounds, and then we got rid of him, and then we yelled Hunter Biden for 12, 14 months and didn't pass a single thing to help you. And then when what Hunter Biden shows up, then when Hunter <laughs> Biden shows up, we go, uh, 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 nope. Secret deposition for you, not the one in front of the public. And one of the things that's brewing right now, Jordy, and I want everybody to kind of play, pay close attention to this, are people in the MAGA movement are very displeased, I will say, with MAGA speaker Mike Johnson, who is like the most extremist speaker we have ever had. But why are they displeased? Because he was seen walking through the halls of Congress with former Republican Speaker Paul Ryan. <gasps> what? Why are they displeased? Because he's engaged in discussions to possibly give Ukraine more aid so that Vladimir Putin can be defeated. <gasps> what? What a traitor. That's what MAGA says. Meanwhile, you have MAGA... Mike Johnson, who literally went on Fox the other day, Jordy, to your point exactly, Mike Johnson goes on Fox and he says, Brett Baer asks him, so what's the top priority, right? You guys are in control of the House. What's your top priority right now? MAGA Mike says the top priority is to keep and grow our majority. I think that's so revealing with the whole Republican mindset that their only thing that they want to achieve is to acquire power, even if they really don't use the power to actually do really anything, I guess, other than to help rich people at the end of the day. But their priority, he didn't say my priority is to help Americans. Right. My priority is to help the burden that middle-class families are feeling, to get more infrastructure projects in the country, to ensure that every American has health care. No, the top priority is to keep and grow our majority. But by the way, some bad news for House Republicans hoping to keep their majority. And we'll get into that as well. Let's start talking about what went down in Iowa, and I want to always do the compare and contrast. This is what's happening in Iowa in Mar-a-Lago. Then we'll go to the real world, the world of normalcy. And I'll just say, Donald Trump's speeches don't hit the same when it's so incongruent with just the reality that's taking place on a day where he's saying that if he's not elected, there's going to be a depression, and him saying all of these things about gas prices that are just false when compared to the actual facts, just kind of shows what a loser he is. And he looked very unwell also. And I think one of the things that was the catalyst for that was the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals expediting the briefing 
uh, on the issue of absolute immunity. I think that Donald Trump in the morning thought that when Judge Tanya Chutkin stayed the criminal case, it was like a big moment for him. And then the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals kind of dashed his hope and it all happened in like a six-hour period. And he is really terrified, the same way Rudy Giuliani is terrified of accountability. Heck, they're terrified of even taking the witness stance. Let me show you this one right here. I want to start at the end of the rally. And this is where Donald Trump plays actual QAnon music. And he finds himself here, though, out of breath and unable to speak. And just take a look at what goes down. I want to show you. I want to. Sh I want to show you here as well. Like you know, in normal political times, uh, the candidate speaks about issues like jobs and infrastructure and healthcare and the military and protecting our pets, taking care of them, and education. No, no, no. Donald Trump wants everybody to know that his golf game improves significantly, and then he says that matters, though, right? Like that kind of is an important metric. And it's a very minor thing, but I'm a much better golfer than I was 10 or 15 years ago. It means something. You know, it means something in a certain way. It means something. You know, it means something. It means that you were golfing your entire time in the White House. I think that's that's what it means, that all you can do is golf. And just for the audio listeners out there, like that first clip, Donald Trump, he's like huffing and puffing. He is sweating. He can barely breathe. And then you have the literal QAnon music playing behind him. It's the part of the speech where he literally rambles on and on about how terrible the United States is. Like, this is this is his closer in his speeches. He talks about America is the worst country in the world. America is a horrible place. We're a failing nation. We're terrible. Everything sucks. It's, it's like I mean, this weird QAnon hypnosis music. And you can see Donald Trump's face just flushed and kind of unable to, like, breathe and unable to even say the words that he was supposed to say, and then people cheer him on as if he's like a kid in a play who forgets his lines, and everyone's like, you got it, buddy. You got this. You can do it. You can do it. And then he, I guess, ultimately builds up the courage to talk about how horrible it is. As Congressman Jared Moskowitz says to me, like, he goes, it, it's truly inexplicable, Ben. I, I don't know what to say. It's truly inexplicable. Here, Donald Trump again brag, brags about passing a cognitive test three years ago. Let's play this clip. Be happy to hear. A great football player is going to be happy to hear this. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors. And I took a cognitive exam. I said, Doctor, give me anything you want. I want to take. I said, Yeah, next to Doctor. You give me anything you want, Doctor. I mean, what are you talking about? And then the crowd is clapping for him. This would be parody if it wasn't so serious and impacting all of our lives. Here, Donald Trump says that by Christmas 2024, he says, the economy will be roaring, and he credits himself and kind of slurs his words. Play this clip. With your vote by Christmas, and we're going to have it by Christmas 2024, that's just shortly after the election because of the momentum of our victory, we will have a U.S. economy roaring back, and in 2025, we'll have one of the greatest economic years this nation has ever recorded. We will have a U.S. economy. I don't know what it means by a Eunice. 
Distraction. Policies about why things are really good in 2024. He's going to say it's because of his poll numbers. He's going to say, look at my poll numbers. That's why the economy is doing so good, because everyone's excited for Trump to get back. That's a great point. That's such a great, that's what it's it's a great point that that's the reason why. And then the media is just going to report on the polls. How you feeling? How you feeling? How you feeling? Why are you feeling that way when actually things are good? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's like, right, like it's the media. Maybe you actually want to report, like, on the data and, like, what is going on. And, again, we'll talk in a little bit about the stock market setting all of these records. And, again, to me, the stock market is not the indicator about how regular Americans, how hardworking Americans are feeling, except when Donald Trump is in office. And then if the stock market is high, then all you see on all of the newspapers is golden age, gilded age, the roar, this is the roaring, you know, 2023. That's that's what you would see. When I give you this Donald Trump tweet uh, for, uh, from April 2019, okay? You mean the stock market hit an all-time record high today and they're actually talking impeachment? Will I ever be given credit for anything by the fake news media or radical liberal Dems? All caps. No collusion. Uh, I mean, that literally, you know, is kind of describing the actual situation that President Biden's in, where you have record highs in the stock market and you have all the Republicans want to talk about is their fake impeachment. By the way, what's the one thing that MAGA Republicans say over and over again? We're drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. Okay. President Biden's domestic drilling has exceeded any past administration before blowing out of the waters domestic drilling during the Trump administration. And President Biden has still made important commitments on climate change that is so critical as well, showing you can balance the two things. But they're like, we need to drill again. I mean, we're drilling more. And then the legacy media criticism on President Biden when he then does that that he's falling short on his climate commitments. At the same time, he is passing critical climate change initiatives in the legislation. That, that's how the New York Times legacy media frames that one. Anyway, let's keep on going. Donald Trump here, 
says that when he slurs and makes all of these gaps and he mumbles and bumbles, that he does that on that he does that on purpose. That's just part of his shtick, he says. I did this routine where I stumbled and mumbled purposely. Okay, can you imagine? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. This, this <laughs> Hold on, all right, ready, Brett, Brett, play it, Brett, play, play the clip again, just so, play it again. Okay. I did this routine where I stumbled and mumbled purposely. You did this routine where I stumble and mumble purposely. And, and again, this is all from... Like last night, like this is all one. This is one speech. Is he talking? What is he? Was it a joke when he believed that Jeb Bush was president of the United States and sent troops to the Middle East? Was was that the time that he was joking, or or was it when he thought Obama uh, was president of the United States that he was running against Obama? Or what was when he thought that President Biden said he'd rather be electrocuted than eaten by a shark? Electrocuted. Yeah, that was the big. That was that that was the big joke. That was that was the Eunice joke. That was a unit joke right here. Here, Donald Trump says something about how they are trying to go to the Supreme Court to enter a, a guilty plea, he says. I don't even know what this even means. Play this clip. Waited and waited and waited, and then they saw I was running, and they waited, and then they saw I was hot, and they filed lawsuits. These are very dishonest people. That's called election interference. These are very, and now they're fighting like hell because they want to try and get a guilty plea from the Supreme Court of the United States, which I can't imagine because you have presidential immunity. But strange things happen, but they want to get that because that's the only way they're going to win the election. It's a very sick thing. It's very sick is him using the words, he goes, this, this, and then he goes, they, with the accordion hand, and he goes, they saw I was hot, and now they saw I was hot, he says. And so they're going to the Supreme Court to enter a guilty plea. By the way, Donald Trump's lawyer, Alina Habba, said that she wants, on behalf of Donald Trump, the Supreme Court to intervene. Ironically, that's exactly what special counsel Jack Smith is requesting, that the Supreme Court make a ruling on the issue of absolute immunity that Donald Trump is asserting that was rejected by the trial judge, Tanya Chutkin. Uh, Special counsel Jack Smith wants the Supreme Court to reach this issue on its own, granting certiorari. And there, Donald Trump acts like they want to enter a, a guilty plea. What, what, what are they even talking about there? And then Donald Trump claims here um, that gas prices, which have plummeted as a result of significant domestic drilling, even as Russia and Saudi Arabia are trying to, like, lower the supply. The Americans are, uh, we're, we're increasing the supply right now. So let me just show you right here, though, so what Donald Trump says about uh, gas prices right now, which is just contradicted by, you take a ride down the street, just take a look here, play this clip. Gasoline prices are now five, six, seven dollars and even eight dollars a gallon. By contrast, under the Trump leadership, my leadership, inflation was non-existent, and we had gasoline down to a dollar eighty-seven a gallon. Doesn't that sound beautiful? By the way, gasoline is almost down to around that level, and gasoline was down so low because there was a global pandemic that you mismanaged, and people weren't driving. People couldn't get toilet paper. People were lined up because they couldn't get food. People were dying in mass every single day while you told people to inject bleach in their arm. And by the way, we were headed towards a recession before COVID hit. And before COVID hit, you were you were putting up all of this debt in general, too. 
put $8 trillion in debt under the Trump administration. A lot of that before the before COVID hit as well. And that's one of the sources of inflation. When you had $8 trillion in debt and you print money as recklessly as you did, happen. I want to go and show you, though, these two clips from Mar-a-Lago. Brett and Jordan, I'm not sure if we have these clips, but this is kind of wild right here. So then after Iowa, Donald Trump goes to Mar-a-Lago and he talks about how he wants to be a dictator for a day. He goes, they asked me, do you want to be a dictator? They wanted me to deny it. I don't want to deny it. I want to be a dictator for a day. Here, play this out. There's no all people that have a lot of money. I know uh, <laughs> one of you, you know, you're rich as hell. <laughs> We're going to give you tax cuts. We're going to pay off our debt. We're going to do all of the things that we have. That was the next one I want to show you. Let me show you the one where Donald Trump says that he wants to be dictator for a day. One sec. I got, I, I got to find that one. So just give me one second. Okay. While you find that clip, I want to let's show the other one where Donald Trump goes to the people at Mar-a-Lago and says, look at, look at you all here. You're all rich as hell. We all have lots of money. I'm going to give you all tax cuts, rich people at Mar-a-Lago. Play, play that one. There's no all people that have a lot of money. I know uh, one of you, you're rich as hell. We're going to give you tax cuts. We're going to. I'm just a bunch of paid actors. We're going to do all of the things that we have. <laughs> there he is right there saying, You're all rich as hell. You're all rich as hell. And we're going to give you tax cuts. Then we're going to pay off the debt, the debt that you caused, $8 trillion in debt that you caused. More than 25% of the entire national debt going back to the very beginning of the United States of America caused by Donald Trump. And by the way, what would those tax cuts do? Those tax cuts to the rich would only increase the deficit, cause us to incur more debt. And that's the self-fulfilling cycle of Donald Trump. And he just so brazenly say that on camera. Like that, once again, in any other time. Imagine Mitt Romney running against Barack Obama and talking to a group of wealthy people who pay what? What's the Mar-a-Lago fees? 300000 bucks a year or something insane? And saying, I'm going to help you with your taxes. It's a scary thing, too, when you see who he decides to surround himself by when he gives these speeches. I mean, it, it's been just an ongoing theme and pretty obvious, but it, they're all just his sycophants, right? He gives his speeches at Mar-a-Lago or, or have, like, this rally where not many people attend, but when you look at how many people are there in retrospect, it's just a scary thought that there are so many people who don't care about the contents of what he's saying who will just continue to cheer this man blindly. And it's, you know, it, it's something for our audience to really pay attention to and really listen when we play these clips because those folks, they vote. And so y'all need to vote and you got to get your friends to vote and people who actually love this democracy to get out there and vote in 24. Mar-a-Lago fees was $100,000 and then he increased it to $200,000 after he, after he was elected president. And it has fourteen thousand dollar annual fees. That, that's his. That's a, that's that's the Trump base. But okay, uh, Iowa farmer. Trump Trump's your guy. Okay. Let me just show you this clip right here too, where Donald Trump says, uh, "They say you don't want to be a dictator." I said, "No, I do want to be a dictator for a day." Here. For the day, you see, they're calling me a dictator. 
You see, Trump wants to be a dictator. Trump wants to be. And you know how it started? He asked me a question. Please say you don't want to be a dictator. I said, no, I won't say that. I want to be a dictator for one day. There should, those words should never come out of the mouth of somebody who wants to have a position of leadership. I, and it's, he's not doing it as a joke. He's not being funny. He's not saying it in a humorous way. He's saying seriously that he wants to be a dictator. And again, I know that legacy media wants to explain why the Dow Jones being above 37,000 for the first time ever is a very bad day of news for President Joe Biden, and why when unemployment is down, that's very bad for the Democrats, and why when jobs are being created and there's 40,000 infrastructure projects, how that is not a good thing for President Biden and Democrats. But I think it's just important to report on the objective data. I mean, if inflation right now was through the roof like it previously was, and President Biden didn't get it under control, I think we'd have to reflect about that. We'd have to talk about that. We'd have to confront those facts. But President Biden has managed to address it in a way that we are now the lowest of all G7 nations, the United States, when it comes to inflation, and as the highest GDP growth. I mean, America's economy is growing faster right now then China's the fastest growing GDP of all G7 nations right now. And we just have to talk about the data. You can't all of a sudden say that every traditional metric of economic success gets thrown out the window when you have a Democratic president like President Biden. And then you cherry pick any indicator when Trump's in office to talk about some golden age to justify his authoritarianism. And that's precisely what the legacy media does. I want to talk about what's going on in the real world. I want to talk about that economic data. And then I want to go from the real world. And we'll go out of the real world for a bit and talk about all this MAGA Republican impeachment nonsense. We'll also talk about what's going on in the courts. Let's take our first quick break of Trade Coffee can help you nail holiday gift giving this year. A subscription to Trade is the perfect gift for any coffee lover. You just choose how much to spend, and Trade will help your recipient personalize the coffee to their preferences. Best of all, all gift subscriptions. Also backed by what? Hope that we. I'm on the. com slash Midas and use code Midas for an additional 15% off to experience life-changing mental performance from Qualia Mind. Back, we are live on the Midas Touch. Midas Touch show, Ben, Brett, and Jordy. Brett, take us through some of the economic news right now. I thought you were going to say, Brett, fantastic ad read. It was what a fantastic a, read. <laughs> what, what, what an incredible job. Like I'm so glad we got you in the rotation. You should do more ad reads, and I love that we... I love that we lock you down to coffee. Like I like that that is your sector and and, and tray coffee is phenomenal. So definitely listen, that, listen that is my specialty. So and, and I and I wouldn't put my I wouldn't put my stamp of approval on just any coffee. So you can exactly. check out all of our great sponsors in the description below. But yeah, I mean listen, you have Donald Trump giving this bizarro world kind of dystopian, very dark view of the United States of America. This isn't new with Donald Trump. I mean, even in his inauguration, his whole thing was about American carnage. You think you're going to give a speech about the hope for America, right? About what we could achieve when we come together as Americans. His entire speech was about American carnage and how horrible America was. That's like 
be one single through line with Donald Trump and his view of the United States. He looks up to Russia. That's what he thinks is an example of a great, strong country. He looks up to North Korea. That's his view of a great, strong country. But you know what? Sometimes reality gets in the way. So just as we saw right there just a night or two ago, Donald Trump in Iowa speaking about, and he says things also like, if Joe Biden is elected, we're going to have a depression. The likes of which you've never seen. You know what? Joe Biden is currently the president and we're actually experiencing incredible economic growth. But it's not the first time that he's tried to do this sort of fear-mongering technique. Let's go back to the 2020 debates. You all remember the 2020 debates between President Biden and Donald Trump. And what did Donald Trump say then? He made a statement where if President Biden is elected, the stock market's going to crash, and there's going to be a depression. But, of course, this week, as you all know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit an all-time high Wednesday across 37,000 for the first time ever. You have the S&P 500 now up 21.5% on the year. You have NASDAQ up 39.5% for the year. You have S&P 500 posting one of the best monthly gains in a century. So now let's look at the contrast. Donald Trump's words during his debate with Joe Biden and Fox, I had to, you know, I had to include Fox, and CNBC speaking about the actual reality. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay. The Dow's never been higher. The other average is racing along. That Dow marks a new record high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. going to close above 37,000 for the first time ever. Got to hurt the Fox host to say, right? I mean, and even it shouldn't, though. This should be great news for the country. Like, let's work together. Like, I don't care if you're a Republican, an independent, a Democrat. Let's seize the moment and do great stuff for the economy. Let's focus on making this even better. 100%. And let's talk about the other good news the economy. Like, we should all be celebrating the fact that you have inflation cooling and inflation continues to ease. The latest reports inflation has come down to 3.1%. Year over year, that's now down two thirds from its peak. You have unemployment, which was already historically low, coming down to 3.7 percent. It's the longest stretch of sub four percent unemployment in over 50 years, and that trend continues. You have real wages up. That means wages are outpacing the inflation that we have in the country. You have over 14 million jobs now added in the U.S. economy. 5.2% GDP growth, and as we spoke about before, gas prices continue to fall around the country. I know people are seeing that for themselves, and, you know, I think we'll probably take maybe a little bit of time for all of this to kind of sit in with people, and people want to see, is this just a momentary thing, or is this kind of the trend that we are going to see? But I think that it will ultimately set in with people as we get to 2024. This is something that I've kind of been predicting now for the past few months, and I'm glad to be proven right thus far. Um, but you have the Fed even coming out yesterday, and the Fed says, we're going to hold the rates steady. We're not going to raise them at all right now. And in 2024, you could expect three cuts, three rate cuts, which is one of the reasons why the markets spiked the way they did. I mean, when you have that on the way, when you have inflation coming down, when you have an unemployment continuing to come down, when you have real wages increasing, the whole story of the economy is going to be so, it already is so different, 
but it's going to be even more different when those things begin to kick in. And it's almost prescient that the Biden administration went so hard on Bidenomics because it's almost as if they knew the direction the economy was heading in. So even if they wanted, you know, Fox wanted to clown them or whatever in the beginning, guess what? Now the raw data speaks for itself. And I want to say, does that mean the economy is perfect for everybody? Absolutely not. Does it mean that there are wealth disparities that we need to take care of? A hundred percent. Like Ben said, also, the stock market is not the economy, but it is a metric that Trump would be spiking the football in if he had that sort of economy going. And he did when he said when there were previous records being set that were far below what the stock market is right now. Trump spiked the football at every opportunity that he could get. And it is meaningful to folks who have retirement accounts or own stocks or have 401ks. I mean, that is a meaningful thing for a lot of people in the country as well. So we need to celebrate the wins and we need to fight to improve the other areas. But these are all very positive signs. And I think that it will begin to actually impact things, the way people are feeling about things going forward as we cross into 2024 and things continue to improve and set records the way that they are doing. Because this is honestly a record-breaking economy and also like nobody, nobody really expected to have this sort of you know, confluence of events here where you have both a hot economy, low unemployment, and inflation coming down. I'm sure a lot of people have heard this term countless times. We need a soft landing. We got to get the economy. It's got to be a soft landing. And a lot of people, I know a lot of economists rolled their eyes when the Fed and when people in the Biden administration said we need a soft landing. But here's our soft landing. You know, the plane might not be fully on the ground yet, but the wheels are down. And it's certainly looking like we are heading in that direction, which is honestly a testament to the way the administration has handled things. Every financial analyst, not like most, every major financial analyst predicted recession and some a very, very bad recession. So what was different here? Bidenomics. What was the variable here that the financial analysts did not take into account? Bidenomics and those policies spurring the economy. And when you see how I am for you, Ben? Bottom up. When you actually focus on bottom up, middle out, and not this trickle down crap, and you invest in the American worker. Right? That's what Biden's policy is. Let's invest in the American worker. Bottom up, middle out. Let's focus on rebuilding the middle class here. Why would we go and try to give billionaires and decamillionaires more excessive privilege, unfair privilege? Why would we do socialism for billionaires? That makes no sense at all. And hope that they trickle it down on us after they buy their 10th yacht or 12th private jet? That's the Republican policy that doesn't work. And Biden's like, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to do it differently. And that's what's working. When you have 40,000 infrastructure projects across the country, that means you're putting Americans to work for good-paying jobs. And then that actually has an aggregate effect. So here's why I, like, predicted where you're going to go. And we did not discuss this beforehand, and this clip is not even on our outline that we create for the shows. But I've got a compilation of economists predicting with near 100% certainty, 65% certainty, 
that this economy, this is from like a year ago, this economy is heading into a recession. If you remember, Bloomberg News, Bloomberg's analysts, they released the story. 100% chance of recession. 100%. They, they didn't even give themselves room. Like, they didn't even <laughs> say 98%. They said 100% chance of recession in the next year. Well, they were 100% wrong, and so are the people in this month. I'm suggesting that there's a very high risk, probably 65% or better, of a recession next year. I'd like to head to a recession towards the end of this year, start of 2024. Economists are now saying that the U.S. will enter a recession within the next year. There is an extremely elevated chance of recession, uh, and if you had to place your money, I, I, I bet that within 12 months the economy is in downturn. Here's the thing, it's easy to bet against those people, though, because they are wrong about everything. Larry, Larry Kudlow, just tell me, Larry Kudlow, what you feel, and I will just do the exact opposite. <laughs> he just goes on there and tries to do it in a very just kind of, I say it's 65%. You're just making that up. Like, totally. But it also totally. goes and shows you, though, how the media seizes on some narrative. Then they get lazy. It's a very lazy perspective, Ben, to your point, too, because there's a concentric circles here that are overlapping, right, between these financial analysts in that sector and the people who did the voting and, and the polling for mm -hmm. predicting the, the, the red wave. All they do, and it's just such lazy, I'm not even going to call it work, but whatever, you know, it, 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 it's just a lazy job that they do is that they go with some sort of public sentiment that they feel is going to happen, and then they rely on the data to back up this viewpoint and, the, and this hypothesis that they've already concluded is going to be the ultimate outcome. They, they, they don't rely on the data. They rely on, they rely on, they rely on their own data that they, they formulate around it, is what I'm saying. Is, is that they, I don't even agree with you there. They don't rely, they rely on feelings. Right. And they talk about like how you feel or, or, or what you predict. And my point is always, hey, let's go to the data and then let's chat about the data. That's why you talk about polling, why we had Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bond here on the show who actually give us the data. And I can look at it and I can test the data and I can challenge the data and they can throw the data at me. And then we can crowdsource the data. <laughs> We've got one of the biggest pro-democracy, the biggest pro-democracy community here in the world. So then we can ask the Midas Mighty, what do you think about this? And you all point out great things. But you need to start with a data set. And those people were working with a narrative. And they go, now, now okay, now those clips, those clips were all spread out over the past year, right? Some of them like a little over a year ago, some of them a few months apart. And some of them were people like Trump people, like Larry Kudlow, who's on Fox Business all the time and stuff. But some of them were reporters on Bloomberg Network. Some of them were reporters on CNN. And they were all saying the same thing. Now imagine every single day turning on your TV. Because I remember turning on the TV, right. and being in the car and listening to the radio. Every single day turning on the TV and they go, recession's coming. Better watch out. Recession, 100%, 100% chance. Get your money in order because this recession is coming right around the corner. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then you look at the polls and you've got people not feeling good about the economy. And you got to wonder, maybe it was all the conditioning of day in and day out of people doom and 
purpose of putting out this doom and gloom about something that never happened and now is not going to happen anytime soon, at least. Like, like just think about that kind of level of brainwashing that we are seeing from these networks. And finance people are going to be biased against somebody like President Biden, whose whole thesis is bottom-up, middle-out. Like, of course they're going to be. These are people who make so much money who, when he goes to raise taxes for rich people, guess who are the rich people? It's the financial analysts on CNBC and Fox Business and all these networks. Of course they're not going to like it. And then it cuts to commercial. And what do the commercials do? The commercials are trying to sell you shit based off doom and gloom. The economy is very bad, so you know what you have to do? Buy gold. Buy gold right now because the economy is going to get you. You know what you got to do? Buy a lot of crypto because, you know, once the economy tanks, you're going to want that crypto because once the banks fail, then you have all the crypto bros, right? All the crypto people. They were trying to cause runs on the bank. Remember when they were trying to cause runs on the banks? All those dudes who are friends with Elon Musk? Like, this was a whole coordinated effort to scare people into thinking the economy was bad so that rich people could get richer. And they all got exposed. I'm sorry. That's a exposed. good point. One of the first things that Elon Musk did with Twitter was it was then kind of utilized by all of those finance bros who jumped on it, and they were basically trying to scare people and do the runs on the banks. Like, that's what was going on. And that was, what, like a year ago? A, a little over Probably a year ago? Even. Was it even? I don't, I, can't, I don't even know. It was, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't even think of their names. But that's why we all in Yeah, but that's why it's so important, though, again, that we focus on the data and we test the data and we try to arrive at the facts that way. Should we talk about some court case updates? Ooh. Oh, have a good legal update, and there are legal updates, and there are plenty of them. And then I'll let you, of course, take the lead on. Well, for, first we got what could have been bad news: the federal judge Tanya Chutkin issuing a stay in the Washington D.C. federal criminal case, and that would halt all proceedings there. That case is set for trial March fourth of twenty twenty four. So that happened earlier uh, in the day, and then we were thinking, okay, we've got to take a look at what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to do. Are they going to grant Special Counsel Jack Smith's motion to expedite the uh, appeal there, Donald Trump's appealing the issue of absolute presidential immunity in a criminal case that was rejected by federal judge Tanya Chutkin. And Fortunately, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals granted Jack Smith's expedite the scheduling there. And let's take a look at this schedule because it is an aggressive and very good schedule. First thing to note is the three-judge panel. Judge Henderson, a George H.W. Bush, and prior to that, a Reagan appointee. Childs and Pan, Judge Childs, Judge Pan, both Biden appointees. But more than that, just pro-democracy, law and order no-nonsense judges. So you couldn't really have a better panel than this if you wanted a pro-democracy outcome, a law and order outcome, no delays. And they just showed right away that they were not wasting time here. Uh, Donald Trump's brief is due December 23rd, 2023. In Donald Trump's opposition to the schedule, he uh, quoted Dr. Seuss and compared special counsel Jack Smith to the Grinch. Um, harming the lawyers' vacation schedules. I don't think that this panel took that uh, 
Can I just say, though, how this backfired so badly on them? Because their whole thing was like, man, it was the, it's the most ridiculous, disgusting argument that they made through. They're like, it's like Jack Smith is over there rubbing his fingers together like the Grinch and saying, I want to ruin your Christmas cheer. Like, they wrote things they wrote like, that. They, like that. Like, like I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they wrote. And so, but the thing that I love that Court did is, and what Jack Smith kind of suggested was, all right, so the 26th, a little too, it's going to get in the way of your Christmas festivities. We need you to deliver this to us by the 23rd, <laughs> before Christmas. And the court agreed. And when the court set the schedule, uh, what did they do? They set the brief for December 23rd, before Christmas. So it ended up backfiring by them saying, don't ruin our Christmas. They said, okay, we'll do it before and after. Trump's brief due December 23rd, 2023. Jack Smith's brief due December 30th, 2023. Trump's reply January 2nd, 2024. And then I assume there will be oral argument will be scheduled still in early January. I expect before February. My prediction is somewhere between January 10th and January 15th. And I would expect an order denying Donald Trump's appeal, affirming the district court ruling, denying his motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds. I expect that to come before February. So what does that mean for the March 1, 2024 trial date? I think it gets delayed because right now the proceedings there are stayed, but I don't think it gets delayed more than 45 days at this point. So I think that means the trial probably starts uh, April or early May. It's still possible it could start March 4th, 2024. But I think given that there's now going to be 30 to 45 days of no activity, it's hard to imagine it starts March 4th, uh, 2024. And at the same time, Special Counsel Jack Smith went directly to the United States Supreme Court and said, look, while we're before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, because this issue is so important to our democracy, Donald Trump's assertion of absolute presidential immunity. Supreme Court, you should grant certiorari right now. You should grant oral argument right now before we even have to go through uh, an appeals process. Now, that kind of shifts the burden to Donald Trump. What's Donald Trump going to argue? No, Supreme Court, don't make a ruling on absolute presidential immunity, which I claim I have. Donald Trump's brief is due December 20th there, and I expect Donald Trump to argue no Supreme Court do not make a ruling on this right now, which kind of shows that Donald Trump doesn't believe there's kind of a great degree of urgency or it's that important that the Supreme Court even needs to hear it. So it was a strategically brilliant move by special counsel Jack Smith to try to force that issue, right? Donald Trump, you'd expect, hey, I appointed three of these Supreme Court justices. It's a right-wing Supreme Court, right? There are six right-wing Supreme Court justices on there. So shouldn't they be favorable to Donald Trump? No, because Donald Trump's claim is so outlandish. Outlandish. Outlandish that he's claiming absolute presidential immunity in a criminal case. So special counsel Jack Smith is confident, saying, okay, Donald Trump, if you're confident, let's go to the Supreme Court right now. So we'll see ultimately what Donald Trump does there. But I expect Trump 
to file you a mean grief on December the 20th when his brief is due, basically saying, no, slow it down, delay, delay, delay. But now you have two tracks, right? So what Donald Trump was banking on is, okay, let's wait for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and then I'm going to go to the Supreme Court and get them to stay it. So Jack Smith said, I know you're going to do that. What a chess move, Mark. goes directly to the Supreme Court right now so that Donald Trump has to kind of make that argument. Trump was not expecting that at all. Brilliant. It's, a, it's a genius chess move. And it, there's just all these contradictory things that they're saying, of course, because honestly, Trump's legal team is like pretty abysmal. And Trump's an idiot who just speaks off the cuff and then doesn't know what he's saying. But like they're boxing themselves into this weird place now because on the one hand you have trump's lawyers trying to do everything they can now to like delay the supreme court right like they, they don't want this to be heard before the election they want to keep trying to push this thing back but then you have like lena haba going on tv and she's like openly begging the supreme court to save her and save donald trump like is she going to kind of screw herself and Trump by saying these things on TV? Like, what, what, what is the... I'm, I'm assuming there is no strategy there, but what is the strategy? First, do, do we have the clip of her where she went on TV and she said, first, let's play the clip. Let's do it. And I believe uh, someone had called on, on the Supreme Court to do this exact thing. We need the Supreme Court to step in and stop this. This has become complete mayhem. And if they don't start looking at these decisions and as the highest court in this country, as the arbiter of law, the ultimate arbiter of the Constitution, the people that are supposed to enforce our bedrock, if they don't start doing it, which thank goodness they are, we, you know, have some law and order hopefully soon. She pick up what she said at the beginning there. She goes, someone has called on the Supreme Court to take this issue up. Do you know who that someone is? Special counsel Jack Smith. Jack Smith called upon the Supreme Court to do the very thing that she's asking the Supreme Court to do, although she's saying they should step in and save Donald Trump. Jack Smith says, look, Supreme Court, they apparently want this issue before you right now, so let's see if they put up or shut up. Let's see what they say. And the Supreme Court granted expedited briefing on the issue of certiorari as to whether or not oral argument should take place. <laughs> it's just it's one of the funny old things about it all. Like, and it just shows you just how disingenuous they are. And I, I know we know this, but you know, let's go back to the appeals court, right? Let's go back to the DC circuit. And Jack Smith is trying to get them to expedite looking at Donald Trump's appeal. It's Donald Trump who is the one who appealed. If you were the person who appealed something, theoretically in any other case, you'd want the people to see your oh, appeal. Oh, and if you believed it was slam dunk, if you believe I have an absolute immunity, let's get this in front of the right people right away, and let's get them to throw this thing out. That would be a home run result. A home run. It just, it's a funny thing that it's a big win for Jack Smith that he expedited the D.C. Circuit deal dealing with Donald Trump's appeal. Well, that's the thing. When Donald Trump files lawsuits as well, it's always like the defendants who want to move the case along, right? Like where Michael Cohen's like, yeah, can we do discovery now? Like, can I take your deposition? And then Trump's like, no, we want to slow this down. It's like, you're the plaintiff, buddy. <laughs>
You sued Cohen for $500 million. Why wouldn't you want to bring that case to trial right away? Oh, because you're totally full of crap and you are scared of your own shadow and you'll never sit for a deposition. Oh, this was all a game to you. This was all a form of witness intimidation to you. Oh, by the way, I got to I gotta play this for you too. So Alina Hoppe was in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals today on an appeal involving Michael Cohen's lawsuit against the Department of Justice and Donald Trump for putting him in solitary confinement when he wouldn't sign a waiver away. They wanted to force him to not put out a book if he refused to do it, and then they threw him in solitary confinement for like 52, 53 days. And so he lost. Cohen lost at the trial court level because there's this whole doctrine called the Bivens Doctrine, which basically says that there is no remedy for constitutional violations, even if you establish it, unless Congress establishes an actual law, there's no implied right of action as the Supreme Court has gotten more right wing. They've done away with implied causes of action. So even if Cohen was injured, even if there was a constitutional wrong, Cohen doesn't have a remedy as this case, Bivens, from 1971, has been interpreted by the right-wing Supreme Court. But Cohen saying this is an extraordinary case, this is an extraordinary circumstance, it fits some exception to the way Bivens has been interpreted today, the Bivens case. So then Alina Hoppe goes up and says, Judge, in addition to Bivens, this case should be dismissed for absolute presidential immunity. And then the Second Circuit panel goes to Alina Hoppe, okay, well, what do you think about the Blassing Game case? And she goes, I don't know what the Blasting Game case is. The Blasting Game case is a case decided in the past two weeks about Donald Trump. The case <laughs> is Blasting Game v. Trump. Not only right now is it the dispositive case in the Court of Appeals, at least the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, about absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. It's about absolute presidential immunity in civil cases your client, Donald Trump, how do you not know the Blasting Game case? That's your case. That's her case. That's your, supposed to be your client's case. How absurd that. And it says he doesn't have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases regarding the January 6th insurrection because the conduct was campaign activity or election activity. So it falls outside the outer perimeter of Article II executive authority. Heck, I know it. All the Midas Mighty know what Blasting Game is. She doesn't we know We made it. a joke about it a few episodes when you were like, and guess the name of the case, and then you said Blasting Game, and I, and I was like, oh, that was on the tip of me and Jordy's tongue. Like, we've talked about it that much that it's become a joke on the show. It's like not knowing to put your name on the SATs. Like, you're arguing absolute presidential immunity. Blasting Game is the case. If you were to teach a course on absolute presidential immunity, it could be called absolute presidential immunity in the world of Blasting Game. Like, that's how dispositive it was. This is have to look back on and I got to go, well, look, in 1971, the Supreme Court ruled this at Bivens and then the pro No, no, no. This happened two weeks ago about the <laughs> during this how, 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 how does it end for, for Hoppe, Ben? Like, like <laughs> we've already seen him turn on Takapina. He turns on all of his former lawyers. Where are we 10 years from now? Like, what, what, what is... What is the outcome of Alina Hava and her role have you, in have all you heard of us? Have you heard of a network called Fox? <laughs> I mean, look, there was a recent lawsuit against Bedminster that also has some really horrific conduct it alleges against Alina Hava. Right. They say that Alina Hava was grooming this victim, it was alleged. 
to try to get her to sign a settlement agreement releasing sexual harassment claims against one of the bosses at Bedminster. And then once Alina Haba secured the settlement agreement that it's alleged that Alina Haba said the settlement was tax-free, it's alleged then that Alina Haba then just basically ignored the person and it cites a lot of text messages between them. And then that the settlement agreement was Alina Haba, a lawyer and the non-lawyer victim of the sexual abuse is what's alleged. Let me play you this oral argument from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals from earlier today. Play this clip. Okay, um, are you familiar with Blassingame versus Trump, the DC Circuit case? It was recent. Uh, hey there, welcome back. We're gonna look into some more of this uh, legal stuff. It's free law school for me. And I thought I would share my learning experience going to law school, studying the law. Law. I used to do a really good Margaret Thatcher impression. She, uh, she kind of. One must, one must hold one's diaphragm. <laughs> and talk, and talk out of the top of your heads. One must hold one's diaphragm and talk out of one's heads. That almost sounds kind of Monty Python. The Monty Python, the, they didn't have many, they didn't have any women, women Monty Python players. Um, except for there, there was a couple of few kind of like extras. Uh, so they they would talk like this. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an old woman. Hey, you, leave an old woman. I'm not old. I'm not old. Well, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> Anyway, that was pretty funny. Like, I love watching Jared Smuskowitz and Jasmine Clockwell. Jasmine, uh, she she liked one of my tweets at her. Okay, we're just going to call him tweet. And <laughs> uh, playlist. My clips. My videos. Maybe I should play my recent videos. She's an artist running for president for president. Hi there, I'm Trista. I'm the artist who wants to be president. And this is Dr. Baker as Anubis. And on August 30th this year, I was victim to a police raid. And now I'm running for sheriff. I need your help to get me on the ballot. And I promise this will never happen to you. Your rights will be respected. There will be no more jail deaths. We'll get rid of a lot of bad apples. There will be piss tests for every officer bright and early Monday morning. We'll fire the ones that have a track record of abuse towards the public and or domestic violence in the home. And we'll replace them with women social workers. Wouldn't that be nice? 
I'm Trista, the artist who wants to be president. Mayo. And I'm going to tag Arizona Politics. Tucson Sentinel. Arizona Politics. Ben Marcellus. Modest touch. Got the modest touch. Everything I touch. Time to go. I suck. Comedian. Artist and comedian. What better? A better president would you want? And a woman, a moderate woman, is tough on crime. Moderate woman is tough on crime. Trista for prize. Moderate woman who's tough on crime, uh, maybe a comedian and a art an artist, musician. Not to toot my own horn or anything. It don't get much better than that. Except for maybe artist, musician, poet, supermodel. Crazy, crazy. Crazy Democrat memes. <laughs> Where's that? Oh, it's something eating. Okay. Hi there, I'm Trista. I'm the artist who wants to be president. And this is Dr. Baker as Anubis. And on August 30th this year, I was victim to a police raid. I'm going to send this on Instagram to all the media. Instagram chats, the Democrats, college Dems, Women's March, Occupy Democrats, Face Nation, Tucson, Sentinel, Miami, Heralds, to Arizona Coalition for Change, Reuters, USA Today's Opinion, Arizona List, ACLU of Michigan, Priscilla Presley, sure, yeah, Christopher Perez, okay. Like that worked. I think so. Voila. So that's how you work the media.
was victim to. In the heart of Iran lies the incredible ancient site of Takti Suleiman. This ancient city was built on an extinct volcano with its very own lake, palace, and prison. Known as Solomon's Prison, it consists of a labyrinth of underground tunnels. King Solomon was said to keep his prisoners in the crater of the volcano, as well as in several pits and chambers, starting them and watching them suffer without means of escape. Now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Takti Suleiman even had its own water management system. The lake, formed within the crater of the extinct volcano, was once believed to be a portal to the underworld. The site's most significant structures and architectural elements are said wow. to be approximately 1,700 years old, although some speculate other parts of the site could be much older. In the heart of Iran lies the incredible ancient site of Takti Suleiman. This ancient city was built on an extinct volcano with its very own lake, palace, and prison. Known as Solomon's Prison, it consists Solomon's of a labyrinth prison. of underground tunnels. King Solomon was said to keep his prisoners in the crater of the volcano, as well as in several pits and chambers, starting them and watching them suffer without means of escape. Now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Takti Suleiman even had its own water management system, the lake, formed within the crater of the extinct volcano was once believed to be a portal to the underworld the site's most significant structures and architectural elements are said to be approximately 1700 years old although some speculate other parts of the site could be much older in the heart of iran lies the incredible wow. ancient site of takti Suleiman. Cool. this ancient city was built on an extinct volcano with it Wow. Say hashtag wow. <laughs> Iran. Persia. Archaeology. No wonder. Again, a thousand years of peace. That's quite a noise. was built on an extinct volcano with its very own lake, palace, and prison. Known as Solomon's Prison, it consists of a labyrinth Solomon's of underground prison. tunnels. King Sol huh. It consists of a labyrinth of underground tunnels. King Solomon was said to keep yeah. his prisoners in the crater of the volcano, as well as in several pits and chambers, starting them and watching them suffer. It consists of a labyrinth of underground tunnels. King mm. Solomon was said to keep his prisoners in the crater of the volcano, 
as well as in several pits and chambers, starving them, and watching them suffer without means of escape. Now, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Takti Soliman, even had its Takti own water Solomon. management system. Solomon's the lake, prison. formed within the crater of the extinct yeah. volcano, was once... Well, I read that in Trump's upcoming election interference trial, federal prosecutors are planning to use his own words against him. And Trump wasn't too happy to hear that. Uh, they've been using his exact mm. words. In fact, he just issued a statement about it. Mm. All of my quotes should be completely anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> or as he calls it, anonymous. He said it's un-American and shouldn't happen in the United States. Or as he calls it, the United States. <laughs> this wouldn't be allowed in other countries like uh, Namibia or Thailand. Or as he calls them, Namibia. Or silent. <laughs> I simply can't be prosecuted for things I did in the White House, which is a legal sanctuary, or as he calls it, stink sanctuary. <laughs> in conclusion, Merry Christmas, everybody, or as he calls it, Merry Christmas, everybody. There you go. Well, we'll see how it goes. Well, I read that in Trump's upcoming election interference trial, federal prosecutors are planning to use his own words against him. And Trump wasn't yeah. too happy to hear that. Uh, they've been using his exact words. In fact, he just issued a statement about it. All of my quotes should be completely anonymous. <laughs> or as he calls it, anonymous. What a knob. What a knob. Diaper Donald, Diaper Donald, a knob. And I'm a adapt, and that's the, the whole idea behind Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson's theory about the restarting of human civilization, is that we have achieved a very high level of sophistication, which explains the pyramids and go back to tapping. It explains all these immense stone structures where they move stones with some unknown technology from uh, as, as many as 500 miles away, thousand ton stones through the mountains. We have no idea how the fuck they did it. And then you go, 5,000 years later and you have barbarians. Yeah. And like, what happened? Well, most likely a fucking natural disaster that forced people to figure out a way to adapt and overcome. And I think that's one of the reasons why if we go back a few thousand years ago, you have these people with these brilliant minds that live these unbelievably barbaric lives. And I think it's because they're the descendants of people that had to survive whatever was left over after a sophisticated civilization was hit yeah, by like comets. Hmm. Adapt. And that's the, the whole idea behind Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson's theory about the restarting of human civilization is that we have achieved a very high level of sophistication, which explains the pyramids and Gobekli Tepe. It explains all these immense stone structures where they move stones with some unknown technology from uh, as, as many as 500 miles away, thousand tons stones through the mountains. We have no idea how the fuck they did it and then you go 
5,000 years later and you have barbarians. Yeah. And like, what happened? Well, most likely a fucking natural disaster that forced people to figure out a way to adapt and overcome. And I think that's one of the reasons why if we go back a few thousand years ago, you have these people with these brilliant minds that live these unbelievably barbaric lives. And I think it's because they're the descendants of people that had to survive whatever was left over after a sophisticated civilization was hit. Like, yeah, like, adapt and that's the the whole idea behind graham hancock and randall carlson's theory about the restarting of human civilization is that we had achieved a very high level of sophistication which explains the pyramids and go back to tapes explains all these Whoever invented the Golden Gate Bridge was a genius. After six months of difficult assembly by workers, the steel structure of the bridge abutment is finally complete. Now the steel structure is wrapped in wooden planks and concrete is poured inside. The problem is that the concrete, when mixed with the water, will float around, but don't panic. It can be solved by using polymer-modified concrete and the conduit laying method. The concrete is poured into the conduit, which is connected to a crane, and the conduit rises slowly as the concrete is being transported, thus reducing the chance of contact with water. The water inside the piers is now drained, at which point the foundations of the piers are not very strong, and the piers still need to be moved downwards by 15 meters, preferably into contact with a solid bedrock layer. To do this, also need to build a 15 meter thick reinforced concrete slab. Whoever invented the Golden Gate Bridge was a genius. After six months of difficult assembly by workers, the steel structure of the bridge abutment this is, is finally complete. Expert now TV the steel structure is wrapped in wooden planks and concrete is poured inside. That's explodes in Arlington, Virginia, I appreciate so it's ABC News. Now I have a filter in place to where I can look at stuff like that. And yes, my body. Picture this. Crocodiles galloping like horses. Sounds unbelievable, right? Picture this. Crocodiles galloping like horses. Sounds unbelievable, right? But it's true. Our slow-moving, sun-basking friends have a hidden talent. They can muster a gallop when they need to. So next time you're out in nature, keep an eye out. Galloping crocodiles, another one of nature's mind-blowing secrets. For more unsettling... Yeah.
Google. And uh, back in 1993, a German robotics engineer, Rudolf Gantenbrink, sent a little robot up that shaft. 165 feet up the shaft, the robot came to this door with two metal handles. Rudolf Gantenbrink was immediately banned from doing any further work in Egypt and was sent away. Uh, the project was taken over by the Egyptian government. Uh, some years later, uh, Zahi, Zahi Hawass um, sent another robot up the shaft with a mission to drill through that door find out what was on the other side. There we go, there's the drill, there's the door, there's the hole that they made. You know what they found on the other side? A space and another door. <laughs> it's like an invitation. Search me. The pyramid is saying, search me, but I'm not going to make it easy for you. You're really going to have to figure this thing out. We still don't know what's at the end of that shaft. And uh, back in 1993, a German robotics expert. Donald Trump took the witness stand in his civil fraud trial in New York, and he played the fool. This kind of nonsense is not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of fear. I have seen defendants do exactly what Donald Trump did. Be combative. Be insulting. Call people names. Refuse to answer questions in a responsive way. And the reason defendants do that is because they don't have a winning ace on the facts. There is an often used saying in the law when somebody goes into court and they know they have a losing case. If you have the facts on your side, you pound on the facts. If you have the law on your side, you pound on the law. If you have neither on your side, you just pound on the table. And what we saw from Donald Trump was a whole lot of table pounding. <laughs> Donald Trump took the witness stand in his civil fraud trial in New York, and he played the fool. This kind oh, of love me nonsense some is not a it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of fear. I have seen defendants do a uh, menu gate. Have you heard of that? Menu gate? This is weird. This man, his name is Cody, lives in Atlanta. He walked out of his apartment and noticed every single door in his hallway had a Chinese menu. Three days later, it's still there. He's like, everyone in my hall has not opened their door. And then five days, still there. So he went down to the parking garage and he looked at the cars covered in dust. And he's like, that's weird. And then he's like, okay, this is like freaking me out a little bit. Went through his whole apartment building, couldn't find a fire. Finally, like, found one. He's like, I need to know. There's supposed to be 800 people living in this apartment building. No one came out. Because he had previously checked, he'd gone outside at night, and there were lights on. Yeah, something's going on. He went out into his local nook, where his apartment was. Every, like, coffee shop and place that he went to, there was always one man in there wearing a suit, talking on the phone. He said, these men were all saying the same thing into the phone. And he's just like, am I living in a simulation? What is this? A menu gate. Have you heard of that? A menu gate? This is weird. This man, his name is Cody, lives in Atlanta. He walked out of his apartment and noticed every single door in his hallway had a Chinese menu. Three days later, it's still there. He's like, everyone in my hall has not opened their door. And then five days, it's still there. So he went down to the parking garage and he looked at the cars covered in dust. And he's like, that's weird. And then he's like, okay, this is like freaking me out a little bit. Went through his whole apartment building, couldn't find a fire alarm. Finally, like, found one. He's like, I need to know. Is this, uh, oh my god, in the comments, it's just like a fucking thing for clicks. What? Um, urban Twilight Zone.
Twilight Zone. Can't see the can't see the comments. They won't let me see the comments. Okay. Yep. Facts may have been flushing toilets and sewers in Rome. Come on, man. Epic says, when you realize the shrooms you brought, you bought were definitely worth the money, all these men were saying the same thing in their phones. Some guy is staring at me that looks high as hell. Nobody told Truman the Actors Guild was on strike. When you realize all your neighbors are Airbnb hosts. Me thinking, no noisy neighbors, no crowded restaurants, and no drama. Sounds like paradise. Someone <laughs> said, literally, while watching this video, someone placed a menu through the crack of my door in my hotel room. If it takes Chinese food menus for you to realize no one else lives in your apartment building, you've got bigger problems. Guy been in witness protection for so long, he forgot. So the only non-NPC people in his radius were presumably himself and the guy putting up the Chinese food menus. This is what happens when they cancel the Truman Show without telling Truman. <laughs> he failed the mission. He had to call the Chinese delivery service. Joe Rogan is a hell of a drug. <laughs> Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> he should have went <laughs> should have went to the restaurant for more clues school dorms <laughs> when is Christmas break too like oh yes the man who lives in an alternate reality but shares the same internet connection as us have you ever seen your neighbor bring in groceries it's my is my favorite question Menus on doors a good way for rubbers to see who's home or not for an extended period of time. This is often used during vacation time or holidays. If any of this was a conspiracy, then the guy hanging out the menus is trying to wake Cody up. Dude needs to get to the Chinese restaurant ASAP. Man, this sounds like a real SCP. LMAO, what if SCP? Oh. And next time I moved into a new condo in Midtown, Atlanta. This is weird because I had a similar eerie situation with our building. I never saw anyone upstairs. No one was moving into the units on my floor, even though it was a nice building and the parking garage was always full. So people from time to time, but only in the lobby or elevator. This video hit home because what made me notice no one lived on my oh, over this China Express flies that were always in the door. Stayed there nearly a year before we heard anyone in our house. Freaky. LOL. Hmm. Maybe they have an underground... Maybe it's like a cover for some underground bunker or something. For the military. Sounds like a safe house. It's called the Trojan Horse or Silent Invasion. They're waiting for the activation of their sleepers. Ever wondered what?
Chickens reacting to birds. Those microwave pets. They're awesome. Good. Maybe it's acting like this because the battery's low. Hello. Modest touch, Reddit watch, and Giuliani case in Trump's diaper dons. Hope of delay is crushed. Stream 51 minutes ago. Wolfgangs has always been top notch because of their family values. Welcome to Political Beatdown. Ben Micellis, Michael Cohen, a lot to discuss on today's episode. We are on. Verdict watch in the defamation case filed by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss against Rudy Giuliani at the end of the trial during closing arguments. Rudy Giuliani's own lawyer compared Rudy Giuliani to a flat earther, basically said he's well past his prime and that you should all just take pity on him. I know he's acted horrendous, horrendously, but please, please don't hit him with a verdict for tens of millions of dollars. But we are waiting on that verdict. We will keep you posted. Also, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals expedited the appeal of Donald Trump's claim for absolute presidential immunity, Donald Trump's motion to dismiss. The indictment was denied by the federal judge, Judge Tanya Chutkin. And although Judge Tanya Chutkin has now stayed the proceedings before her, which was not great news, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals kind of swooped in there and gave an expedited briefing schedule where briefing will now be completed by January 2nd. So at most, we're looking at about a 45-day delay, but we will break that down. I want to hear about oral argument in a case involving Michael Cohen uh, from earlier in the day. And of course, the MAGA Republicans have launched a bogus impeachment inquiry into President Biden on what, when you ask the MAGA Republicans, they don't know other than the fact that they think this is what their voters want. This is unprecedented in American history to launch an impeachment inquiry without an underlying unlawful act, but nothing surprises us when it comes to MAGA Republicans. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. Michael Cohen, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm, as per usual, I'm tired. Uh, didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night, obviously. This Second Circuit uh, appeal was on today. I'm going to get into that in about a second, but I want to talk to you about something that you brought up, Ben, and I think I'm going to change your mind. 
when you turn around and you say that it's not such great news about the stay in the Judge Chutkin case. That, of course, is the um, is the Jen, it's the uh, Jack Smith uh, first case. I have a totally different take on it. So that case was supposed to begin trial on March 4th. And we all know that right now there are four indictments against the former president, the orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini. And there's like a Ringling Brothers juggling contest as to who is going to go first, second, third, or fourth in what totals the 91 counts of charges that were brought against Trump. So now that there is this stay pending the Judge Chutkin case, what happens? The Alvin Bragg case goes to trial on March 25th. Right? There's really there is no delay at all. All right. Um, it's just a matter of who's going to go first. Now, the beauty of that case, the Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA case, is it is a very easy case to prove. There is not a lot of testimony that's going to be required. There's not going to be a lot of witnesses that are going to be involved. There's documents. And there's a handful, at best, of witnesses, literally between the prosecution and the defense. There's maybe a handful of, of witnesses. This case could be over in under six weeks from start to finish. What also makes this incredibly uh, interesting is the documents already speak for themselves. They're so, this case will move like grease lightning, all right? And then it's just going to be a matter of time in terms of the jury. So by the time that this case ultimately hears itself out in terms of the appeal for the decision, and let's say, because the D.C. Court of Appeals is somewhat slow, um, even if it takes four months, five months, what are we talking about? You're talking about a limited delay by the time that case starts the manhattan da case will not only be over there will already be a determination and if that determination is guilt which i suspect it will be but if in fact it's already determined uh, a, a decision of guilt sentencing will already have taken place because sentencing is generally 60 days after the decision right it is perfect timing there is no delay again it becomes a juggling act of which case goes first which case gets heard first and now now what will happen is this alvin bray case will proceed um first as opposed to going second or third and you know what it was always in my opinion it should have gone uh first it should have already been over now uh, you know, had they listened to Mark Pomerantz early on. So I have a little bit of a difference of opinion there because I don't see this as dragging ending. All four of those cases have to be tried. So which one goes first, second, third, fourth? Who cares? It's a determination and accountability that we're all looking for. Yeah, I mean, look, the earlier in the day ruling came from Judge Tanya Chutkin. I think she made a very conservative order. I don't think she had to rule.
rule that way, but she looked at a recent Supreme Court case on arbitrability and staying a district court that denied a motion to compel arbitration, a case called Coinbase. She also looked at the Griggs Doctrine. She also looked at some of the text, not binding, it's called dicta, that was in the Blassing Game decision about how uh, presidential immunity, if it did apply, and Blassing Game rejected the concept of Donald Trump trying to assert it there, but if it did apply, it occupies everything. So it would affect discovery, it would affect all of the pretrial deadlines. So based on those data points, ultimately Judge Tanya Chutkin said that she was really constrained in what she can do, so she issued the stay. Not a great ruling, but that was, uh, many would say, the right ruling in that case, and she was not being ultra-aggressive. And if she was ultra-aggressive, while people may have cheered that on, it could have backfired in the long run. But then you had the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals within hours of that, and right after Special Counsel Jack Smith filed his final reply brief on this issue of expediting the schedule, he like almost within an hour, I think, of Jack Smith filing his, here's the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, though, in the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case. Let me just pull up their order right now, and it says, look, upon consideration of the motion to expedite the case, the opposition thereto, and the reply, it is hereby ordered that this appeal be expedited. The following briefing schedule will apply. Trump's brief, December 23. Special Counsel Jack Smith's brief, December 30th. Trump's reply, January 2nd. So, Cohen, I don't see the court dragging this multiple months. I think the court will set a oral argument sometime right around January 10th to January 15th. I think they'll hold oral argument. I think we can expect a ruling by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals by early February, the latest. And so that brings us from December 13th or December 12th about i want to say february 15th so you've got you know somewhere between 30 to 60 days right there and then i yeah. think judge tanya chutkin special counsel jack smith and judge tanya chutkin want this case to go and federal courts cases take precedent over state court cases and i think that if it's close alvin bragg's going to move his back and let jack smith By the way, he's already it. he's already said that he would do that um, yeah. the only difference in this specific case is i don't see the decision coming out of the D.C. Circuit Court uh, as quickly as you do. They are historically very, very slow. Regardless of the importance of this case, they're not going to treat this case any different than the other multitude of cases that are still sitting. I know people were still waiting for decisions in six-plus months already uh, from the D.C. Yeah, but those cases don't involve massive constitutional import. Look what they did with the gag order. They ruled on the gag order in under 30 days. Yeah, I understand. This is a little different. That was a, a, a very limited topic and issue. This, I think, is much more significant, and I think that they're going to take their time with it. Let's assume that I'm wrong, and I hope that I am. Okay. It's okay. Let's assume that uh, that Ben is right on this one. Um, perfect. I'm all good with it, and you are right. There's no doubt that Judge um, Rashant, in this case, will um, accede to uh, Judge Chutkin, federal over state. I'm all for that. Um, assuming that Michael is right and Ben is wrong. And I would assume that if I was you, Creators, 
we have all three of their faces were just like, wow. Talk about being unprepared for this. She was. Cohen, the blasting game case, this isn't like some ancient history. It was in the past 10 days blasting game came out. It's right. like a massive opinion that says because Donald Trump's conduct relating to the insurrection involves campaigning and election activity, that falls outside of the outermost perimeter where absolute presidential immunity does apply in the Nixon versus Fitzgerald case. And right. lots of people say that's so bizarre. Someone who's in the office of the presidency in a civil case like Nixon can fire somebody in a retaliatory way, but can get absolute presidential immunity for it. Yep. You can under the Nixon v. Fitzgerald doctrine. However, when it falls outside the outer perimeter, and the Nixon case was considered the furthest most outside perimeter because it still involved a task that presidents do hire and fire people in the executive branch. But because Trump's conduct involved the election, because it involved conduct outside of his official responsibilities, as you said, there is no absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. Now, what Judge Tanya Chutkin said, though, in the D.C. federal criminal case is that the entire concept of absolute presidential immunity, while it does apply in civil cases, and then you have to determine if it's within the outer perimeter or not, in criminal cases, it doesn't apply at all. And it doesn't apply because the text, the structure, and the history of our Constitution makes it so it would make no sense that someone can have absolute uh, immunity from criminal cases, then you would be a king. Our whole constitution was a reaction to that. And as Judge Tanya Chetkin said, presidents are not kings. So her ruling is that former presidents cannot assert absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases. But that's why, Cohen, I think the D.C. Circuit case, going back to what I said earlier, actually gets fast-tracked. Why? For the reason that you just said, Cohen, the D.C. Circuit just ruled in the past 10 days in Blasingame, which says there is no absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. So this is a softball for them, because if there's no absolute presidential immunity in civil cases for Trump's conduct relating to the insurrection, clearly there's no absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases. So I actually think it's easier to resolve then the gag order case, which they resolved in 30 days because of blasting game, Michael Cohen. Now you agree with me, right? No. No. In <laughs> fact, uh, what we'll do is we'll do our standard $2 bill bet. Um, and that can't be a creased up, ugly looking one. Uh, and we'll see. And we'll let the brigaders, you know, obviously, we will continue this conversation going forward. But I, while I believe that they could have a determination, in the expedited fashion you refer. I don't believe that that is going to happen. Remember, because of this case, everything does take longer. Everybody wants to ensure that they get everything right um, and that it's not one that will ultimately, you know, get appealed to Supreme Court. Uh, you know, it's their goal, of course, is to delay, delay, delay and Judge Chutkin and Jack Smith, the American people, our goal is to see uh, justice be served. 
whether or not he's found guilty, that is up to the jury, uh, and that's up to the, again, the facts and circumstances presented at both sides. I don't even want to start touching that, but this trial does need to start, and this delay tactic, and both Ben and I do agree, is going to put this case um, backwards as opposed to having it start on what was the anticipated March 4th date. Now, sure. if, I can, if I can just jump in for one more second and then just say how important my case, the Second Circuit case, is, um, not just to me. We have heard time and time and time again the rantings of a lunatic mind, rantings of an autocratic wannabe, rantings of an individual who doesn't want to see himself as president, but rather king, monarch, the Fuhrer, the supreme leader. And I don't know, Salty, if you actually have it up and, or if you have it even available. Donald put out on his, I think it was uh, Instagram or his social media platform, he put up him staring, there it is, look at this, Trump 2028, 32, 36, 40, 44, 48. Is this not scary? Keep going. Because 2052, 56, I mean 60, 64. Of course, there'll be answers by then. 80, 80, 92, 2100, 2200. Watch till the very end, my friend. And just take a look at this. All the way to the year. Oh, look. <laughs> the pack is back. He forever. Could you imagine? What, anybody that says to be president forever is already expressing the same autocratic wannabe dictator king impulses that Ben and I keep talking about over and over and over again. Point being, it's not us making the statements. It's us drawing to you, <laughs> drawing the attention to the things that he is saying. That stupid little, whatever you want to call it, that little video of him is more telling than what people are understanding from it. They just you know, want to make it seem as, oh, yeah, Donald Trump you know, is going to be president, president, blah, 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 blah. First of all, it is the mindset, as we just said, the king. And that's a problem. Well, look what he did last night also at Mar-a-Lago. We've been getting some clips in from this speech that he gives there. And by the way, he's been saying this when he gives interviews. He's been saying this over and over again. Here, play this clip about him saying at Mar-a-Lago that he wants to be dictator for a day. The day you see they're calling you a dictator. They're saying Trump wants to be a dictator. Trump wants to be. And you know how it started? He asked me a question. Will you say you don't want to be a dictator? I said, no, I won't say that. I want to be a dictator for one day. I want to be a dictator for one day, he says. And as I said, in response to that on, on Twitter or X, I said, I understand that Donald Trump keeps giving speeches saying that he wants to be a dictator for at least a day. 
But the bigger problem right now is that the stock market is at record highs, unemployment is at record lows, and the GDP growth is leading the world, which is a huge problem for President Biden and the Democrats. And of course, I'm being sarcastic there, but you have legacy media ignoring every time Donald Trump continues to say he wants to be a dictator, and they're not focusing on the positive news. Instead, you have the media continuing to put out, how do people feel this day? How do you feel the next day? How do you feel right now? Why are your feelings incongruent with the actual economic condition right now? Hey, Shane, let me ask you before you go to the next clip. I want each and every one of our brigaders to think about this statement for a very quick second. Who here, if they were king of the United States of America on Monday, would give that power up on a Tuesday? It's illogical. Trump knows it's illogical. People know it's illogical, but they don't talk about it. When was the last time you ever saw a dictator give up power? And the answer, never. The last dictator who gave up power, Saddam Hussein, who they hung. Right? But Trump is not joking there either, you know. No. And I know that legacy media and media and others want to try to fill in context. Oh, he doesn't really mean that. Yes, he does really mean that, or they'll say, we don't, we shouldn't really pay attention to all, all of his words. He just kind of spews out stuff. Why? And Ben and I what? are saying, and Ben and I are saying, pay attention to those words. Join us here each and every week, twice a week, on Political Beatdown. Listen to all of the other Midas, you know, touch network um, podcasts or live streams in my Maya Culpa podcast, because the more that you hear, the more people that hear the truth, the more we keep reiterating the fact he does mean it, the more it will ultimately sink in. And the more that chances of him regaining the office of the presidency and destroying this country diminish. When has that ever happened with a, a leader before? Yeah, President Biden said that, but that, that's, those are just words. Don't. Don't listen to the words that he says, or, uh, yeah, Obama's just saying that. That's not actually real, what he actually means. I mean, why does the legacy media treat this guy like like, like he's a third-grade baby who needs their help to contextualize things that don't have any context other than him wanting to be a viewer? I want to play this clip right here from that same speech. This is what he's saying. He's, he's looking out at his audience there and saying, you're all rich, right? We're all rich here. Here, play this clip. Because you know, all people that have a lot of money, I know, what are you doing? You're rich as hell. We're going to give you tax cuts. We're going to pay off our debt. We're going to do all of the things that we have. You're rich as hell. <laughs> I mean, you can't be more out of touch. You can't be more offensive. He says that he's going to get us out of debt. He's the one who added $8 trillion of debt. That is a basic fact. $8 trillion. More than 25% of all debt in the history of the United States under Donald Trump right, right there. You're all really rich, aren't you? I, I want to show you some of these. You know, but, but Ben, the, it's the laughter by the crowd that I think offends me as much as Donald's statement. First of all, this country has taken 
so much money from the future generations to come. I don't understand how my children and grandchildren, and God willing one day, you know, great-grandchildren, I don't understand how they're ever going to pay it back. And all it's going to do is put more economic strain on this country. But yet he's talking to a group of individuals, the tenth of one percent of this country, Tell them I'm going to give you tax breaks. Yeah, because they need a fucking another Bugatti in their driveway. They need another Ferrari, another vacation home. Right? They need a second boat, and they need a second airplane. Could you imagine what you're talking about here? You're right. Talk about being completely detached from the reality of what 99% of America is going through right now. Completely detached. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Part of that 99%, the fucking idiots, the maggots I keep talking about with the four teeth and the three brain cells, they're cheering this idiot on as if it does anything for them. It does nothing for them. In fact, it puts them even farther behind the eight ball. And yet they're still, they're still hung-ho for Trump. He's running the country right now, in case you didn't know it. Donald Trump is... You know, the country was doing great under Donald Trump. When you present these idiots with the fact, well, let me just show you a document. And these are the metrics. If you leave off, if you fold the paper backwards, Trump and Biden. And you ask them, which one of the two sides of this piece of paper is better? Which one would show a booming economy, a booming stock market, a um, reduction of unemployment, which one would show an increase in jobs over the course of the of, of one year and then four years, which one shows better? And unanimously they point to the one, no surprise here, right? And it says Biden attached to it. And they're looking, they're like, no, no, Trump administration was the best presidential It did more for America than Biden had. And they can't tell you how, they can't tell you why, they can't tell you any of the facts, other than Trump has said that his economy is better, and I believe him. Look, the S&P 500 is now up 21.5% on the year. NASDAQ is up 39.5% for the year. If this was the Trump administration, we'd be hearing about those numbers every single day. On the front page of the New York Times and Washington Post, they would declare a golden and People would say, well, that's somewhat out of touch, though, because the stock market really isn't an indicator if wages are rising or how people are feeling who don't have money invested in the stock market. But here's the point. Under Donald Trump, that doesn't matter. They will praise the fact that the stock market is up as the metric, and the media will buy into, and the Republican Party will buy into Donald Trump's lie. If Biden came into office, the stock market will tank. Well, that was absolutely false. The stock market's never been stronger. And by the way, wages are up. The GDP growth is the top in the United States of all G7 nations. Inflation is the lowest in the United States of all G7 nations. There's over 40,000 infrastructure projects up across the United States right now 
with serious, serious wages and better working conditions. And all of that is kicking in right now. And all I hear is the legacy media saying, here's why that is bad for President Biden. Even on the metrics, Michael Cohen, where Republicans are supposed to be better, domestic drilling, all you hear is them say, drill, baby, drill, drill, baby, drill. Well, President Biden not only passed through major climate change initiatives, but there is more domestic drilling right now in the United States than in Trump than any administration before. By every single metric, and yet we continue to be gaslighted that somehow this is supposed to be bad, and we're supposed to feel bad. I want to talk about that. I want to show you some clips from this Iowa event. I want to show you some more clips of Alina Haba having a very interesting approach uh, when it comes to the Supreme Court that's going to backfire. And then I want to show you the MAGA Republicans with this absurd impeachment inquiry where they don't even know what it is that they're actually investigating. We'll talk about all of that and more after this quick break. Welcome back. Listening to some Midas Touch. Those are They're trying to downplay Merry it Christmas as a mistake, but I'm not falling for it. The government just got caught red-handed hiding a six. This is Michael Popak. Legal AF after dark. You know what that means? You like lawyers talking about things where they know what they're talking about? Then you're going to love Legal AF. And this past Saturday, Ben Mycellus and me, we co-founded Legal AF. We had our debate about all the various states that are trying to use their powers, their attorney general powers, their powers of civil litigation against Donald Trump and the fake electors, mapping these laws onto the fake electors' activities, resulting in indictments in various states or soon-to-be indicted uh, fake electors. So... Watch us break it down and give you the most recent update uh, along with our analysis. Here's Ben and me. Take a listen. Let's talk about what happened in Nevada and Wisconsin. Um, we know that there's also uh, criminal investigations and other activity taking place in Arizona, indictments uh, in Michigan, a lot going on here. And prosecutors uh, are really beginning to, I mean, beginning to, uh, I think, show the fortitude that was expected of them as the statute of limitations is approaching and there are some put up or shut up moments with them. So Popak, take us across the country with some of the uh, updates here as we're seeing now uh, fake electors confessing, as we're seeing those who aren't being indicted in some states. What's up here? Yeah, look, we're watching, as we've said before, we're watching a criminal justice system and a civil justice system at the, in the hands of attorney generals, prosecutors, and civil litigants straining to try to map law onto Donald Trump's conduct and those that supported him, including the fake electors. And that's where we're, we're watching the cleanup here, 23 and 24. Um, some of the attorney generals in Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan, were a little bit delayed because they waited patiently to see what would happen with the Chat Six Committee and their work, and then Jack Smith being appointed special counsel, and they sort of laid back. 
they didn't have to. There's no reason on, under their state laws they couldn't have done things parallel. But out of respect, I think uh, not wanting to be big-footed by the Chad 6 Committee or by Jack Smith, they decided to lay back. But as soon as it was apparent, once we saw the contours of the indictment coming out of Georgia, which was a sprawling is, is a sprawling indictment that involves a lot of the battleground states that we're going to talk about here, and what Jack Smith did in a more narrow, surgical, or another word for our show today, surgical approach to the same problem, right? Different ways to solve for the same problem of Donald Trump. We're watching it all writ large here in these various battleground states. Once they saw in the indictment from Jack Smith, four counts, just Trump, a lot of unnamed co-conspirators, fake electors mentioned as a pressure campaign, but not really the heart of the indictment. And then it's only so far that Fawny Willis, she's gone pretty far, can do from Georgia. She can't do better in Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, uh, Arizona, uh, and the like than they can do themselves as the attorney generals of those states. And so we reported earlier in the summer about, okay, Arizona is up and running. New York, you know, uh, the attorney general for Arizona is looking into the fake electors primarily. And the difference is that their approach, and I think they're all modeling a little bit after each other, the blueprint here, whether it's Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan, it's a similar approach, which is let's go after the fake electors. Let's go after the elected officials that were co-opted by Donald Trump and followed their fearless leader uh, into this into this morass, rather than the broader case of going after Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, Cynthia Powell, and all of that. And they've now had the benefit, even though they started six, eight months ago, indictments are just starting to come out. First one out of the box is that six fake electors, all the fake electors in Nevada, including people that were at the very top of the food chain for the GOP, for the MAGA Republican Party in Nevada, including one, one woman who was a delegate to the Republican National Committee uh, have been indicted um, uh, in all of that in Nevada. Now, wh uh, why? Why is it just now? Because they were waiting around to see if the dam would break and they'd get some good evidence of people that participated. And lo and behold, because all these pieces fit together, they're all working together, not literally, but they're all watching each other. Fawny Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, tip of a hat, chef's kiss, was able to get a number of Trump lawyers to plead guilty to crimes, including felonies, like Ken Chesbro, who, who along with John Eastman is the architect of the fake elector scheme. He, as we reported two weeks ago, got permission from Judge McAfee in Georgia to go on a whistle-stop tour of different states that had fake electors and talk to people like prosecutors and attorney generals and testify before grand juries. And that's what he did. And the first stop on the whistle stop door was Nevada. And then days later, an indictment came out against the people there. And then similarly, he's cooperating with Michigan. He's cooperating with Wisconsin. He's, he's, so he's, he's cooperating with, with the uh, Department of Justice and Jack Smith. Now, I saw it interesting uh, as I was reading right next to the article that we talked about, A16, <laughs> the court narrows the gag order. The New York Times had an article about fake electors face charges with planner as a witness. That's also not important to the New York Times. I'm going to send them a better help gift certificate uh, about their, their problem with Trump, why this stuff ends up buried in the, in the paper. But here they said that uh, the lawyers for... Um, Chesbro 
uh, to continue to try to protect him, said, oh, well, the reason he pled guilty is not because the elector's the, the elector use is, is per se unconstitutional or fraudulent. It's because the ones that he participated in in Georgia didn't have the legend on the certificate that said these are only to be used if a lawsuit is successful and um, these electors therefore become the real electors. They're, like we shouldn't have broken the glass and taken out the the uh, the emergency the emergency pill here, and and that's why he pled guilty in Georgia because he had to because he was involved with that. The certificate was wrong. Yeah, right. That is not what he's telling these people in the secret in the secret grand juries, and it's powerful evidence against Donald Trump and the ele fake electors when you have the person who came up with the entire scheme who then implemented the entire scheme around the country, helped recruit the fake electors, guided them on when they should vote, how they should vote, what they should say, what the certificates should look like, and then coordinated along with others to collect the fake elector certificates, send them to the National Archive, and use them in, in the, on the halls of Congress to pressure Mike Pence and have them recognized. When that guy testifies, all these dominoes start to fall in quick succession. So we've got the indictment in Nevada. Arizona, not far behind. I'm sure there'll be the indictment of those people there as well. Michigan as well. And Wisconsin had a very unique approach to this. The attorney generals and the law enforcement people are still investigating the, the uh, fake electors. But there's a group of regular citizens that filed a civil lawsuit against all 10 Wisconsin fake electors. All of them. And sued them. And in order to settle the case, they entered into a settlement agreement. In the settlement agreement, which we had our hands on, and I did a hot take on it, in the settlement agreement, they said, first and foremost, Joe Biden won the election. That was my favorite concession that they had to admit to. Joe Biden won the election. I don't know what we were doing when Joe Biden won the election. That's one. Two, we will never be a Trump fake elector or real elector ever again. <laughs> never. Two, that's two. Three, we will we will be good boys and girls and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and we will continue to cooperate with the federal prosecutors, mentioned by name, and the federal prosecutors, and other investigations related to our conduct. Yes, we will. We'll do that, too. Uh, and, and we will never claim any kind of election fraud or that there was anything wrong with the integrity of the election in 2020 ever again. So help us, God. Sign on the dotted line. Uh, and now, and, and boom, 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 there we are. And that is now what they've agreed to, to settle their case, making all those statements and public statements and admissions. Uh, that doesn't mean they're free and clear from being prosecuted. I mean, it's, it's, it's a factor in their defense or, or in terms of mercy on the court, but they could easily be prosecuted. We've seen many examples of people that are sort of cooperating with Jack Smith who are still being prosecuted by uh, attorney generals or prosecutors in their state capacity. Phony Willis is still going strong against Mark Meadows when we think Mark Meadows hasn't cut a deal but had a limited immunity deal, at least, with Jack Smith. And that kind of mismatch that we're watching that looks really messy to people who don't follow our justice system closely is a function of we have the interlay of that doesn't often match of a state court system a federal court system, 
the role of prosecutors and attorney generals in local crime, federal prosecutors for federal crime and constitutional issues, and then civil cases, federal and state, overlaid on top of that. And it's and people are like, wow, it's messy. Yeah, it's messy. We're 50 states. We're a, we're a union. We're supposed to be. But this was some of the we're watching is the seams, the seams of the compromise that was made to put this country together in our in our system of federalism. And that's what we're watching. It's in a way, if, if it all works the way you and I, Karen, think it's going to work, Ben, it'll be a beautiful outcome. It is it is horrifying to watch. It's like watching somebody on a tightrope without a net waiting for them to fall at any minute. But if we pull this off. As a country, as a justice system, with all these constituent parts, then we should pat ourselves on the back that the justice system and the system of justice in our country held, even against the tremendous pressure campaign by Donald Trump. It's like watching a surgery, mid-surgery, once a patient's cut open, and you've got the camera angle kind of looking at all the internal organs and the blood and all of that and not seeing it patched up. We're in that stage. And it's so important that we collectively have the kind of understanding of of civics of of our judicial system about what's going on here. And that's why you and I are very critical of the fourth estate or what used to be called the fourth estate. When New York Times puts these things on page A16 or A22, that should be front page news. This involves what's more important than the survival of our democracy. Well, that's an example of what we do every week, twice a week on a show we like to call Legal AF. It's at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. And the three leaders of Legal AF, Karen Freeman, Ignifilo, Michael Popak, that's me, and Ben Micellis, we bring it to you there in the uh, Wednesdays and Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where you can watch us and pick us up on audio podcast platforms of your choice. So until my next hot take, and until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network.
Let's see what else they got. Show your daughter how much you love her with this beautiful gift. It says, It's uncovered. It's Wednesday. I'm Anthony Davis. He is Ron Filipkowski, uh, the editor of MidasTouch.com and former federal prosecutor and lawyer and now all-knowing, all-seeing and all-hearing MAGA hunter <laughs> as, we, as we expose the MAGA propaganda that is not uncovered by the mainstream media. Uh, Ron, we've got a lot to talk about today, a lot to get through. Obviously, I want to talk about Trump's trading cards a little bit later and Taylor Swift and Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis, well, mainly his wife, who seems to be running the campaign now. So all that to come. But first, the breaking news today is that um, Hunter Biden appeared outside the Capitol building. He gave his reasons why he would not submit to a closed-door deposition with James Comer's Star Chamber Committee. Um, I think his attorney offered weeks ago to have him testify before the full committee in an open hearing before the American public. Um, but... James Comer did not want that. Should we have a quick look at this video of, of this statement earlier? It was, it was actually very moving to kind of see Hunter Biden and to hear his voice really for the first time. Here he is. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. For that, I'm responsible. For that, I'm accountable. And for that, I'm making amends. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son, a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. I'm proud of my time serving on a dozen different boards of directors. And I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, 
They've belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has do- devoted his entire public life to service. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. Very moving, actually. What did you make of that, Ron Filipkowski? A lot to unpack. You know, there's there's three parts to what you just played, but there's another part that is the part that the Republicans are latching on to. So the first part was uh, where he acknowledged that he did a lot of bad things, you know, and he's responsible. That, I think, was very important for him to say because for a good bit, there has been a lot of Democrats who have said, you know, Hunter did nothing wrong, and that's not the case, as I've said before, and he acknowledges that. So that that is important. Number two, the second part of that statement um, was talking about the fact, answering the Republican charges that he has no skills, he has no value as a business person, that everything he was doing was just a scam. Yeah. And, you know, he, he wasn't, didn't really have a career, so he addressed that, the fact that he has law degrees, the fact that he has successful businesses, this and that. that. That answered that argument. And then the third part, you know, you see the part where he got choked up, and I think that it's something that I always wondered, which is Hunter clearly knows what he's putting his dad through with all of this, that, the, that they're using all of the stuff that he did during those dark three or four years when he descended into madness against his father and to hurt his father and to hurt the country uh, by, by putting his father's the presidency in jeopardy. And he knows that he's responsible for that. So I think that that's why he choked up was he, he understands that he's, he's doing this to his dad and, and he feels bad about that. So I think that that was important for him to say as well. The fourth part that wasn't on that clip, which is the part that Republicans are now latching on to and making a big deal out of is one word in this statement where Hunter said my fault. He was talking. The fourth part of the statement was him saying, my dad has nothing to do with my businesses. He had nothing, didn't get involved. But what the line that he said was, he said, my dad was not financially involved in my businesses. It's the word financially that Republicans are now, Jim Jordan and others, are now making a big deal out of. What they're saying is, well, he said he wasn't financially involved, but he could have been involved in other ways. Well, the whole basis of this impeachment is claiming that Joe Biden got bribed. So fight a financial crime. Yeah, that is financial. So but but that, you know, they gotta find something to set their next narrative, and that's what they've latched on to. What are the consequences of Hunter Biden defying the subpoena to actually testify? in a closed door hearing? Well, you know, some of the Republicans were saying immediately, you know, we have to have this up for a vote right away to hold him in contempt. But, but I think that, you know, it really has to go through the judiciary committee first. They have to convene, they have to vote, send it to the floor. And the other problem is, you know, they got one more day left in session before they're, they're supposedly going to recess for Christmas. And, you know, they're voting later today or tonight on the impeachment inquiry. So they've got to still do that. So uh, I don't know. They're going to have to bring it to the floor. The question is, are they going to be able to get all the votes, not only for the impeachment inquiry, but for 
for Hunter's contempt proceeding, I, I, I question that, you know, I question whether they have all the votes for that. And remember they have to, they have their majority is only two, two votes now. So they, they have to have pretty much everybody vote for this. And then even if that passes, it has to go to DOJ as a referral. They have to decide whether to prosecute a special counsel would have to be appointed because he's the son of the president. So, you know, that's still a long ways off from happening. I found it very moving. I genuinely have never actually heard his voice before. Isn't that weird? It's like he's obviously not a public figure particularly. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a job in the White House like Jared Kushner had. He he, he is so separate from the presidency, and yet he has been hauled in because there's nothing on Joe. So because there's some stains on Hunter, they... They want to abuse those and, and, and to hear the humanity in his voice. And, you know, you and I have come to blows about this a little bit because you, you don't have as much sympathy for addicts as I, as I do. But I recognize... Well, I, I do. I just don't excuse all their wrongdoing because right. of it. Right. But, it, yeah. you know, it's a I disease. I work with addicts every day. Understood. So, yeah, and yeah. It's, a, it's a disease. And as you said, he had a very difficult three or four years. And right. they're very much focusing on, on that, which is which lacks all humanity anyway to kind of to do that to people. And, you know, as I've said to you, I still find it weird that even we criticize Ron DeSantis for his physicality rather than his just his policies. And, yeah. and it is a uniquely American thing to just tear people a new one. It's very sad. Yeah. So let's talk about that, the optics of it, because that was also interesting as well. Yeah. First of all, when you talk about not hearing him speak, he doesn't have any teeth. Okay, he lost all of his teeth because of his most likely meth addiction. Right. And so those are those are all veneers or dentures or whatever they are. He doesn't have teeth. Uh, so so you notice his, he has a lisp there, and that's what it's from. Um, but secondly, you know, he kept the de he kept the Republicans guessing. Nobody really knew exactly what he was going to do this morning because yeah. I was following Comer and Jordan and others and Democrats. I mean. You had uh, you had Democrats that were actually sitting in the deposition room, not knowing, you know, if Hunter was going to show up. And so what does he do when he he rolls up very quickly? He goes to the Senate side of the building. Obviously, you know, his people alerted some media who were there. You know, he gets out, he reads his statement, he jumps in his car and leaves. Well, why does he do that? Because he knows had they had he given any advance notice, you would have had Marjorie Taylor Greene out there, right. out there yeah. yelling, heckling you know, right-wing trolls. So it was very smart of him to do it the way he did. He came to the Capitol, he, you know, went to the other side of the building, read his statement and left. So, and that frustrated the Republicans as well, that they weren't able to basically get at him physically yeah. and, and harass him yeah. because of the way he did it. So he was there. I mean, this is the point that he makes at the end of that clip, right? He is here, here I am. Let's look at how James Comer reacted this morning but uh certainly looking forward to the deposition and you know the the president's son's attorney has said that they've been wanting to set the record straight so they're going to have an opportunity tomorrow to, to set the record straight if we're misinterpreting these bank statements that show millions of dollars of wire going from our enemies around the world into the biden shell companies then being laundered into the biden family members back pockets then he can set the record straight that was yesterday morning, my mistake. Last Let, night, yeah. Let's let's just talk for a second about this idea that, you know, money coming from our foes. Well, you know, America and American businesses do business with, with China 
all the time, right? They do business with Saudi Arabia all the time. In fact, Saudi buy arms from the U.S. and one of the biggest customers. The, the, the point is that, you know, just because there is transference of, of fin finances does not mean that it's coming from the governments of those countries. And that's what the Republicans have kind of claimed, that, you know, this is money that has come from the Chinese government. Well, in that case, then, Steve, you know, Steve Bannon, you know, is also guilty of the same. I mean, he's gotten money from a Chinese businessman. And this is not, you know, Hunter didn't get any money from the Chinese government. Yeah. He, he was paid consulting fees by a couple of businesses in China, just the same as Steve Bannon has been paid by a Chinese billionaire. So, I mean, look, I mean, that's like saying you go into Walmart and you buy something made in China that you're owned by the Chinese right. government, you know? Uh, and, and so it, it's just it's just a ridiculous uh, argument to make, but, but it is working. The brainwashing of that, those the linguistics of that, are permeating sure. into the psyche of Republican voters. Well, and that's what he knows. I mean, you see, there, Comer is giving that interview to OAN. Yeah, and you know, he gets when he goes on Newsmax and OAN, he gets no pushback. I mean, they, nobody challenges anything he says. I've watched a million Comer interviews, you know, and what was telling was what he said last night about Fox, which was, you know, they asked him, well, how come you haven't gone on Fox in a while? And number one, I think Fox is a little gun shy about getting sued lately. And number two, you know, what he said was, he says, well, you know, that guy, Steve Ducey on Fox and Friends, you know, you know, he doesn't like me. He always asks, you know, tough questions. You know, if you're afraid of Steve Ducey, who's like the most mild mannered Republican pro Trump guy, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's no way that he's going to be able to go on a normal network show and be, be questioned. Every time he does, he comes off looking like a fool, like he did with Jake Tapper on Sunday. It, it's so interesting, isn't it, how they, you know, for so long saw Fox as, as on their team and then suddenly, you know, a slight adjustment. Obviously, I think a lot changed after the trial with the Dominion voting system. Exactly. Right. That You're was exactly the point. right. That was the point at which Fox editorial team, if they even have one, <laughs> made a decision that actually we need to be a little more careful. Um, let's talk about Rudy Giuliani, because, I mean, as we speak, he is in and out of the courtroom, isn't he? And and the irony of, of, of his ridiculous behavior, let's just remind people that he, you know, he defamed Ruby Freeman and, 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 and Shai Moss. Looks like he might have done it again outside of the courtroom. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy who claims to be a a lawyer and is a is an expert and yet seems to just land himself in it i've, I've followed this trial very closely and you know it's it's so infuriating you know you want to i sometimes want to laugh at rudy because he's such a clown but then you hear this testimony and, and you hear what exactly what he did and and i wish everyone in america could hear this testimony but unfortunately yeah. you know it's a closed courtroom but i've followed along with at least a half a dozen reporters that are in there live tweeting and you know it's just repulsive what he did just you know the whole thing started with a gateway pundit story claiming that you know these two women you know did were switching ballots because of a water main break it was completely made up and you know rudy and trump just grabbed it and ran with it and um because they're racist ultimately i mean they yeah they, i mean they 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 thought uh, they could Jay get Mark away with testified it. that he was racist you know, for one thing, what Shea Moss testified is one of the victims. You know, she said, well, Rudy just Rudy compared her and her mom to drug dealers and ro armed robbers. 
and also uh, said that they must be Democrats. And what she says is, well, he's just assuming I'm Democrat because I'm a black woman. Yeah. He's like, I know. She's like, I know black women who are Trump supporters. How does she, how does he know I'm a, um, I'm a Democrat? You know, so so I think that that just points out the racist part of it. But what Rudy got into hot water for was this. He's already lost this case. This is just about damages. It's just about how much he has to pay. And by the way, his lawyer argued today, you know, well, why, you know, he said, well, why can't you, why can't you ladies get another job? What's the problem? You're not really looking for work. And then he said, well, you know, why do you really care about having to spend money to clean up your reputation publicly when you're not even a famous person? So what, what does it matter to you if your reputation is trashed? You're not famous anyway. I mean, very condescending, nasty lawyering on his part yeah. but what rudy got in trouble for was his lawyer in opening statement stood up in front of the jury on the first day and said oh we're not saying that they're liars we're not saying that that they're bad people moss and freeman are good people we're just saying that they shouldn't get as much as what they're asking for and then rudy goes out and calls them liars <laughs> you know five minutes later so cla that's classic rudy and the judge was not happy about that does rudy actually believe that they did some ballot stuffing or something. I mean, does no, he I don't, actually I don't think so. believe that, or is he just nope. playing along? I think it's a game for him. Yeah. It's a big joke. I mean, the fact that he, what he did to these, to these women. I mean, um, Shay Moss talked about changing her hairstyle, coloring her hair. She said she, she, she finally had to quit her job with the elections office because she was just taking so much heat, <sighs> and she went to go for an interview at Chick Fil A. And the manager spun his laptop around and showed her face that said fraud across her forehead. It was from some right wing site and said, is this true? Did you really rig the election? Did you steal the election from Trump? This isn't a job interview. So th these women have been through hell. And um, and, you know, listening to the testimony of them. And as we're talking right here, Ruby Freeman is testifying against Rudy. You know, it just it just makes you really upset. And I have no doubt that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, their attitude towards these people, mother and daughter, is because they're black, they're not going to fight back. You know, that the, the white man has the upper hand and that the courts will, 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 you know, look down on the black people and support the white men. I mean, that, that must be part of their thinking. Well, and, the, and they also said the reason why they arranged for Kanye West publicist and a black pastor to go talk to them was because that they thought they would be more willing to talk to black people than white people. So, I mean, you know, the racism is yeah. very prevalent through this and you're right, but here's what happened. These women got a, one of the most powerful, most expensive law firms in the country to take their case pro bono yeah. on a contingency. Yeah. And they've got six lawyers in there on their team for these two black women with no money from Georgia have six of the most expensive lawyers in their country. And Rudy has a knucklehead representing him, yeah. which is, which is so perfect that one of the, you know, a wealthy, powerful former politician has a hack lawyer yeah. and these two black women from Georgia who have no money have the best representation in the country. Yeah. Well, because I think that, you know, the, the stain of injustice is, is, presenting itself so much now in around this kind of MAGA movement that there are lawyers who are smart, 
and they recognize that people are being subjected to the most terrible abuse and they can't help themselves. We had the same in the UK with um, uh, Michael Mansfield, one of the great kind of British lawyers, barristers. He would take cases from the poorest people and he was, you know, one of the most respected and highest paid, paid barristers. And, and he became famous for supporting some of the, the, the most um, compromised uh, defendants. And I, I find it very moving because that's what the criminal justice system should be about. You know, if, if, you, if, you, are, if you are down on your luck and you're being abused by the, the, the likes of Giuliani, you should have access to the very best lawyers and it shouldn't cost you a penny. And the expert witness that they that they called to testify about tracking the online threats yeah. is the same one that testified against Alex Jones in the Sandy Hook case. So, right. yes, there are groups of people now that seem to be forming lawyers, experts, all of that, who are prepared to take these defamation cases and go after these reckless right wingers who smear people. And that's a that's a very good thing. And and you're right. I mean, the message that it's sending to people like Fox yeah. is you better think twice. Fox now cuts away from Donald Trump's speeches when he starts talking about election fraud. They cut away from the speech, which infuriates their audience. <laughs> because of but how they're much so it scares them. They haven't got enough money to keep, to keep paying out. That's right. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, I just feel like it's got to a point now where the clown show, you know, we talk about it as a clown show, but every day now there is just more crazy stuff. And I'm going to talk about the Supreme Court in just a moment, but let's talk about Kate Cox, the 31-year-old mother of two who recently sued the state of Texas for the right to terminate her fatal non-viable uh, pregnancy. She um, fled Texas to receive an abortion, according to her, her lawyers at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, she won the judicial restraining order to receive the needed procedure. Texas appealed the decision to the state Supreme Court. They halted the judge's ruling and then... Ken Paxton, the disgraced Texas Attorney General, threatened any doctor who performed the abortion with felony charges, even though an abortion was necessary to save her fertility or even her life. I mean, this if this is not a test of the insanity of Republicans, but more importantly, Republican men controlling women, it is all about control and it is not going to stop here, is it? You know, the 10, 11-year-old girl who was raped and had to travel for the abortion right yeah. before the midterms really hurt Republicans in the midterms, and it's only getting worse for them politically right. because Kate is not, Cox is not going to be the last that this is going to happen to before the next election, and they are going to feel the wrath, the wrath of especially women voters, all yes. voters, but I think especially women, because, you see... The exceptions was their strategy, you know, to emphasize the exceptions. And Donald Trump has been preaching this over and over again to his candidates, which is, look, they're the dog who caught the car on abortion. OK, they they always, you know, they claim they were pro-life, but they never really, I think, thought through how this was going to work for them politically at the ballot. I think they they definitely did not anticipate this kind of a backlash. Okay. And so 
you know, they placate, and, and you have you have to realize too, like a lot of these Republican politicians, they're not really pro-life. You know, some most of them are, but not all of them. They just pretend to be pro-life. They really don't care one way or the other. Uh, but now this issue is just boomeranged on them. So what they what they tried to do to deal with the backlash is say, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not we're, we're for exceptions and we're for heartbeat or six weeks or twelve weeks. But th- so that so this is what they use for a while to try and calm people down. But now what we're seeing is in practice these exceptions do not work. You can't get them approved. They're too difficult to approve. What do you you have to go to some prosecutor, some Republican lawyer, and prove that you're not viable or your health is at risk? That's cumbersome. It's expensive. It's time consuming. Um, the exceptions just don't work in practice, and so. Here's our first example of an exception that didn't work. Uh, And so this is really going to undercut Trump's whole argument and other Republicans' argument to voters, which is, hey, hey, don't worry. We've got these exceptions in place. Well, who's who's able to take advantage of the exceptions? And this is going to this is going to kill them in 2024. Kate Cox should be in thousands of commercials. She should be in. In, in Democratic candidates' commercials all over the country. Well, let, let's get her, her through the procedure first. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I just mean you can use. Just I know. I understand. Days. I understand. But yeah. I, I think so much, having been through, you know, quite a kind of traumatic uh, situation, similar situation in my own family, that you know the emotional toll on not just women but the partners of the women and the associated family is utterly devastating in these situations, these these late-term abortions that are necessary due to complications or because the pregnancy is not viable. And in the case of my own child that never turned out to, you know, be born, had Patel syndrome, you know, worse than Downs, worse than Edwards, one of the, you know, very, very serious. And, and you know, you go through a lot because of this. But also, the other thing I wanted to mention, because I've been reading up a lot on this Heartbeat Act and what they've been, you know, the Republicans pushing this kind of heartbeat thing. There is no heartbeat. They have now using the most sensitive equipment to find electrical activity in the group of cells that will one day become a heart. And again, this is just abusing the rights of, of women and of families who are making choices for themselves. And it is, you know, even the branding of pro-life, you know, we've talked about this before, Ron, it, it is anything but pro-life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I'm just talking about the politics of it because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a woman, you know, yeah. so I, and I haven't been through that experience. So, yeah. you know, I just I'm just looking at it from the angle of at the ballot box. I think there's going to be a big backlash, even in states like Texas. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz has got to be. I mean, he's he's probably you know pretty invulnerable. And he's going to win, but yeah. he's got to be a little concerned about this when he was. Well, he's asked, laying low, isn't he? Well, yeah, him and John Cornyn, the two senators from Texas, were asked their opinion on this, and they ran away from the reporters. <laughs> Neither one refused to. Both refused to answer the question. this woman because they're terrified of this situation 
What about what about if this gets you know as you know we're, the the Supreme Court announced that they're going to hear two kind of cases landmark cases first cases that have been heard on abortion since Roe v Wade was overturned one on these kind of uh, you know oral abortion pill yeah I mean how do you think that's going to play out because you know let's be clear the the Supreme Court is a Republican court I I think they're going to be bending over backwards to not want to make any decision one way or the other on this and and defer to the states that seems to be the whole thrust of the dobbs opinion which is we want the states to decide all of these things so i think Mm -hmm. they're going to probably fashion an opinion that's going to let the states do what they want on on the abortion pill and you know that's going to make it even worse for republicans yeah politically uh you know they they politically they need some to to roll this back in a way that doesn't infuriate their base because that's their other problem their base is very pro-life for the most part and so these republicans understand that this issue is killing them is killing them at the ballot box but they can't really backpedal from it because their their own voters want this it's it's so interesting, isn't it, how divisive this is. And yet, when it comes to November 2024, this is going to be, you know, as it was in the midterms, this is going to be the thing that really, I mean, it could, you know, it, it could, if we spin the conversation, it could be like a landslide for the Democrats because people are given a very binary choice. You're choosing dictatorship versus democracy, but you're also choosing women's right to choose versus men controlling women and giving them no rights. I mean, you know, you can add a few other things to that list as well. I mean, this potentially, as the story evolves, because there's going to, as you said, there's going to be plenty more stories of individuals like Kate Cox between now, you know, 11 months is a long time. I was thinking that about the war, Ron. I was thinking how the war is going to change. You know, obviously at the moment there's rhetoric that, oh, you know, it's not looking good for Biden because of the war in Ukraine. Um, and sorry, and in, in Gaza. But 11 months, you know, anything could happen between now and November. Yeah, I mean, that at least the, the hot war part of that could be over in a few weeks yeah. in Israel, yeah. you know, so uh, Gaza. So, uh yeah, I mean, the other thing is Donald Trump has not been pinned down on this question, right. the abortion question. You know, I mean, he really hasn't because he, he, you know, right, the right wing shows, they're not going to ask him about it. No. They, you know, they leave him alone because he doesn't yeah. want to talk about it because he completely understands that this is a bad thing. And he's not pro, he's not pro-life or pro-forced birth. He's pro-choice. He doesn't care about abortion. Never has. But he's got to pretend that he does for the evangelicals. So so he's trying to figure out a way to hang on to the evangelicals who are already starting to kind of move away from him a little bit and and, uh, you know, trying trying to get that middle and trying not to lose women. And and so he's in this conundrum and he he doesn't really want to talk about it. What he tells Republican candidates is not to talk about it. He tells them every time the subject of abortion gets brought up, talk about you know, how Democrats want to kill babies after they're born or in the ninth month. That's his default. But if he ever gets interviewed by somebody who's going to check him on that, he's in big trouble because he doesn't have anything else to say. There is that clip that went viral that we've put out a few times where he takes ownership of 
overturning Roe versus Wade, which is very important, but also the clip where he says, yes, I do think women should be punished in some way for seeking an abortion. That was a mistake by him. I, and I think, isn't that an old clip? Yeah. I, I think that was a clip before Roe was overturned, which is yeah. the example of the dog that caught the car. They all said that stuff before Roe right. was overturned because it was easy to say that stuff. It's like throwing red meat to your base voters. But now that Roe is overturned, they don't say that stuff anymore because it's sui political suicide. Yeah. You know, so so he doesn't he doesn't say those things anymore. But yeah, you're right. You got to use clips like that against him. It's their inconsistency that will end up costing them the election, and the fact that you know we bring the receipts, and you know you can't escape those kind of clips if you get them into the right hands. Let's just talk quickly about Ken Paxton. Um, uh, and just kind of explain what you think the fallout's going to be for him. Well, I think he's going to get a he's he's getting going to get a lot of heat from Republicans around the country. Yeah. No, never mind Democrats. You, you know, he's got he's probably got Republican candidates all over the country saying, "What the hell are you doing? Why didn't you just let this woman have her procedure, which clearly she qualified for?" And this would have gone away for us. Right. This, you know, this would have, nobody would have talked about it. But, you know, his obstinance, his obnoxiousness, his hatred of women and his hostility to women, you know, is going to kill, is going to kill them. So I, I think that really, and the other problem is Paxton is very close to Trump and is very much a Trump loyalist and, and they're, they're together all the time. Uh, so, you know, they, they appear together at different events. And, and so, you know, Trump is probably calling him going, what the hell are you doing to me right now? You're killing me, you know, because Paxton's safe. He just got reelected um, two years ago. So he's not going anywhere except for he's under federal indictment for fraud. But other than that, he's not going anywhere. So he doesn't care. He's not up for reelection for a while. But he's hurting. He's hurting Republicans around the country and Donald Trump. This hatred of women, it goes beyond faith doesn't it and and, and religion it, it, it's it's become like a kind of personal crusade of, of kind of machismo republican men yeah when i say hatred of women i mean hatred of women's rights yeah well that's what i mean they yeah, they, well, I, they love women but they they don't want them talking or ha having independence or free working <laughs> jobs yeah. yeah yeah i mean clearly you know we ken paxton just went through an impeachment for you know, putting up his giving, hooking up his mistress with a job and, you know, putting her up in a house and having a political person, you know, remodel her kitchen. So this is what we know about Ken Paxton. So, you know, he's he's not a good guy. We've spoken about this before, that the double standard, the hypocrisy of Republican lawmakers, men in the main, who have this very hard line view and yet behind the scenes, they're committing all of the atrocities that they claim to be standing up against. Yeah, yeah, all the time we see it over and over again. You know, we just saw it with the Ziegler's, right? Yeah. You know, the, the hypocrisy of being anti-gay while they're hold, while they're carrying on a, a gay relationship. Yeah. The it, it would be so interesting if you could, if there was a machine you could point around Congress and see which were the gay republican congressmen the machine would like bing straight bing gay because you know well, it can't be that the only outwardly gay congressman just got booted out 
Well, he just outed another one. <laughs> oh, did he? Oh, right. He well, Nicole, uh, I think Nicole Meliotakis, he said, was gay. So He's going uh, for it on Instagram, I noticed, yeah. and TikTok and stuff, isn't he? We're talking about George Santos, of course, who, uh, yeah. you know, is, is, is now... The, the, the gloves are off, as it were. Listen, we need to take a quick pause for our sponsor. I want to come back and talk about Donald Trump chickening out of the testimony that he was supposed to give at the um, in the in the New York trial. So that's a come and a whole lot more here on Uncovered next. I almost admire you. Still on these streets. Running and cutting. I'm just amazed. Doesn't get to you. out there, okay? I'm gonna be fine. They love me at Beverly Hills. Detective Foley, you ever read your own vibe? Shootouts. Start the piece. A lot. Please tell me you didn't get arrested again. Twice, but I broke out. We put our lives on the line. Every day. And for what? Come do it the job if you're doing it right. So how many people have you pissed off so far? I haven't pissed off anybody. Yeah, 50-50. 50-50. Is it that high? So far. Thanks to big-hearted people like you, Arizonans in need won't go hungry. Donate to St. Mary's Food Bank today and get a dollar-for-dollar dollar Arizona charitable tax credit. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get a better night's sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice if not nicer than sheets used by some five-star hotels. Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, friends or family who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bedsheets and since these come with three free towels you get two gifts in one just in time for the holidays stop sleeping on bacteria bacteria can clog your pores causing breakouts and acne sleep clean with miracle 
Go to trymiracle.com slash uncovered to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40%. And if you use our promo code uncovered at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash uncovered and use the code uncovered to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. That's trymiracle.com slash uncovered to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and performance in our days. Having consistent nighttime routine is non-negotiable. When I don't get enough sleep, trust me, you don't want to be around me the next day. Introducing Beam Dream. You know, we've been raving about Beam Dream Powder, their healthy hot cocoa for sleep. And today, our listeners get a special discount on Beam Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like sea salt caramel, cinnamon cocoa, and chocolate peanut butter. Better sleep has never tasted better. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. A recent clinical study revealed Dream helped 